When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, my fellow Westorians. Welcome back to our House of the Dragon coverage. Remember that Monday episodes at 6 o'clock Eastern are spoiler-free. Spoiler-filled episodes are Saturdays at 3. Last week for our spoiler episode, we had poor Quentin. That went excellently. We made some good predictions for this one. A few things we got wrong, but mostly we got pretty close. And it was a really fun episode. Next week, we're going to be with Radio Westeros for our guest. And you may notice... That rather than on another screen in another place, sitting beside me, as in days of old, is Sean himself. How's it going, buddy? It's going great. It's <laughs> uh, been a fun experience to be here again after a few years. Yeah, Dragon right? Con weekend prompted all this. So. Yeah, we had our screening of episode three. We also watched episode two, rewatched it at a local theater called The Plaza. And it was a lot of fun. We had about maybe 100 people there. And it was a lot of fun to see that on the big screen. So, yeah, Dragon Con festivities here in Atlanta, good times, and I uh, hope if you were one of the people that was here, you had a good time as well, and I hope you made it to the screening. Thanks to those people who did come. Thanks to Ashea for uh, running it. She did the majority of the work, and it turned out great. Yeah, it was so much fun to 
get to see people's reactions during the episode it was very fun. It was pretty much the only other time we had experience like that was at Balticon. Well, not no one other time. Balticon and Ice and Fire Con, we both had group watches that were really exciting. And the ball, the uh, live Ice and Fire Con was also episode three and also a battle episode. <laughs> it was yeah. the long night episode. <laughs> at Balticon, we watched uh, what was it? The Burn the Mall episode of Game of Thrones, where Bran and Cold Hand, Bran meets Cold Hands. Didn't we also see a couple of uh, premiere episodes like in a theater, like the first yeah. episode? Yeah, yeah, we did. Those were in local shows. Those weren't with like big groups of friends, but yeah, you're right. That was those were those count as well. So watch our synopsis videos before each live stream, except this week. The audio version is up already, but because of Dragon Con and the festivities, we weren't able to get the synopsis video up before, but it will be up still, and we'll continue those throughout the season. Also make sure to check out our interview with George R. Martin and our interview with Ryan Condal. Some of the things both of them said are pretty relevant for this episode, and I'm sure that will remain true off and on, if not mostly on, rarely off, for the rest of the season. We'll start with our usual three-by-three to break it in a little slowly, a little bantery topic where we pick our favorite things. Last week, we, as usual, we have our Facebook poll. The top pick for best performer was Millie Alcock who got 52% of the vote, which blew everyone else out of the water by a mile. No one else even got 10%. <laughs> so she absolutely dominated that poll. Join the discussion there on Facebook as well as on Discord. We also uh, post occasionally on Twitter. You can also reach out to us on email if you prefer at westroshistory.com or if you're a member on Patreon, you can send us a message there. So highlight performance. I'll start. I'm going to say Patty Considine this time. George R. R. Martin really praised Patty ahead of the release of, of the season because he, of course, saw some of the episodes in advance. And this was the highlight performer for him based on his comments. He didn't come out and say that, but he certainly talked a lot about Patty. And I definitely see what he was talking about. Like, he was very strong in the first two episodes as well, but I think this one he really shined. He probably had the most screen time of any character, and he was just knocking it out of the park with a variety of emotions all the way from amiable to despondent uh, to, from angry to drunk, just a lot of moods. And man, he was fantastic. Ashay, what about you? I, um, I'm sorry. Will you, would you go ahead without me? I, there's something just happened on the screen. Sean, then go ahead. I'm going to agree with Patty for this episode. Although, I feel, to me, he was about on par this episode as the last two episodes. He did okay. get featured more. But I think for the past two episodes, Millie Alcock has been my pick. But this time, not that she did poor this time, I just think that he surpassed her in this one. But I think the two of them have each been my one-two for the all three episodes. Right on. So I'm going to say Millie again. Even if I said her before, I still think she <laughs> was very good. She had a lot of... Uh, range in this episode did a lot of different things but i also really loved matt smith's damon and less so performance but like a highlight for me was just all three of the strongs yeah we got to see some strongs there there's a lot of personality in all three of them that just like just shined through very clearly each of them is already distinct even though one of them hasn't has barely spoken and the other has only had maybe one or two more lines than that (laughs) yeah exactly and lionel had a really strong presence this episode to be clear one of the strongs was the one that has, I guess, a, a club, club foot, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then another one was, he was the one that, like, when Rhaenyra came back all bloodied up, he was, like, <laughs> maybe skinning an animal or something, but kind of taking note of her. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't tell if he was maybe even 
flirting with he was her? into it he but yeah yeah. yeah he was into it while jason was cringing as well. and, and <laughs> the, those two strong brothers or sons of the ma- master of laws yes master of laws master of laws. Yeah. laws and and harwin was his nickname is Breakbones, and he was one of the two holding the stag in place okay. as well, which is fitting for supposedly the strongest knight in the Seven Kingdoms is what they say. We'll see whether that's true or not, but he's got the name to match. He's the, he is the strongest knight, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so highlight plot scene. I'm going to say Viserys, again, sticking with Patty, drunk on his angry chair. Yes, that is a reference to Alison Chains, not Alicent Chains. <laughs> The, in that moment, the music is very prominent. There's multiple times in this episode where the regular sounds of people and festivities are muffled. And the music really takes over and you really focus on the character. It's not the first time it's happened in an episode this season, but it happened, I think, four times in this one. I don't can't remember it happening more than once in the other episode. Another time it happened when Viserys was preparing to announce his decision on marriage, and that was last episode. And you could barely hear what the other characters were saying, except one of them says Iron Islands, and that's the only thing you can make out. <laughs> it also happened in this episode on the Stepstones with Damon at one point. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's another example of a perfect call. Yeah. What about you, Ashea? I, I see you're sticking with the song theme here. Yeah, I really liked the Nymeria song, I, not only because I liked any reference to Nymeria, but because it was really funny and it was really true to, I think a lot of us can relate to the idea of like, you, you get into a song and you want to listen to it 20 times in a row, <laughs> but normally you don't have to make someone else sing it for you. So it, it was a very like, modern uh, thing that we I could relate to, and I think a lot of us can. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. And, like, I don't get why people say the show isn't very funny. I'm like, there are a lot of funny scenes this episode, to me in particular. There's yeah, a lot of funny things. Maybe comic relief would be the way to put it, but there was a lot of it. There was. There were several lines that way, and yeah, this scene definitely had it. <laughs> However much humor there is or isn't in this show, if that that's the reason you're watching. You might have just picked the wrong show. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what about your highlight moment, Sean? I think I, I'm I'm a little torn, and but um, because I I really like the conciliatory moment between uh, Vasaris and Rhaenyra oh, toward yeah. the end. That was really good. Great but moment. I don't think it carried quite the same overall. I don't know how to say it's literary artistic impact of the moment when Vasaris had to kill that that stag they brought mm. to him. I thought that mm. not only did it really kind of bring into focus what had been happening throughout that hunt, right? The idea that he's sort of in this bubble and everything's being set up for him and like, oh, here you go. Now you can kill it. Good job, sir. But really, you didn't even do it. And even if that's normal, both we as an audience, potentially many people present for that moment, and he personally all felt a little uneasy (laughs) about how that was going. And symbolically, it was also so representative of what had been happening to him and to all these characters around. So I think that was like tough to watch for me, at least, Mm -hmm, you know, uh, but it was making something tough to watch takes some effort. You have to care about what's going on and uh, care about the characters involved. And it was so meaningful beyond that moment and et cetera, et cetera. I, th- I think that was, too- I'd have been proud of myself as a writer <laughs> if I can't get brought it all into that climax, you know. We'll have a lot to say about this scene. It's loaded with symbolism and references to things outside the story, things that have been referenced in A Song of Ice and Fire as well, so we'll have fun with that later. Later? Later. Uh, so our favorite highlight dragon moment, I'm going to go with Sea Smoke tossing people. 
the flames are cool. Breathing fire is awesome, but I love when a dragon just picks someone up and flings them. You, you've seen this, maybe seen that one or two other times, and I just just think it's really cool <laughs> for an action moment. Shay, what about you? I say real quick that I I think it would have been neat. I, I, to me, it wasn't completely clear if the people flung were quote unquote good guys or bad guys. <laughs> if she's accidentally then, flung yeah, the wrong person, like, I think it would have been interesting to. Sorry, Bob. They almost made a point that opening sequence is kind of indiscriminate destruction. Yeah, when that guy, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's gonna be my favorite dragon moment right there. Was that guy going, "Oh, save me, my prince"? Sort of did. He put him out of his misery. Yeah, just. Then he just gets stepped on because that was also my thought seeing later see smoke flying through there, just lighting people on fire. I was like, he could very easily be burning the wrong people. people. Yeah. Very easily. Which, which reminds us a bit that there is some connection, undefined mental partition that dragon and rider share, whether it's, Cyrax knowing to target the funeral pyre or perhaps which enemy soldiers to target in cases like this. We saw that with Daenerys as well. There's some sort of probably magical bomb, but there's, you know, there's dogs are pretty good at sensing what their owners want. Not specifically like what they're targeting, not like this, but it's it's similar-ish to some real world things, I'd say. Uh, my favorite moment, by the way, was as Craxes was was landing. I think it was toward the end when I don't know, they're having that sort of strategic meeting. Yeah. And Damon flies in, and in from the distance, there's the way the hind leg, the body kind of, you know, warbled into place there. <laughs> I thought it was really good That's presentation. Neat, yeah. uh, I, I want to say also real quick that, um, I don't know, I, I, we could go on a million tangents about the ideas, like comparing dragons to modern weapons or the nature of destruction or whatever, but even in modern times, that's like a com- a little less common now, but still friendly fire. Still like fire yeah. artillery and jets fly over. It was like a lot of you know, uh, good guys get killed by their own forces. The bigger the bombs, these... the more likely yeah. someone else gets caught up in it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, even if Asaurus might have this intention or uh, Daemon or whoever of kill the bad guys, if there's two guys fighting with swords standing right next to each other, they're both just going down Sometimes, when the flames yeah. come through. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> so overall, I'd say this episode had incredible dialogue and characterizations. It had really excellent pacing. It took its time with the hunt scene and all that beautiful pathos and, and tragic uh, symbolism. And it, But on the other end, with the battle, it was incredibly fast-paced. So you have both opposites there and of course it had a continuation of the excellent acting that we're already getting quite used to the bar just keeps going up on that in addition to our pro awards let's give a humorous Razzie award which is a a real life award for bad film in this case we're giving it to Hobart Hightower for his cringeworthy hail hail Aegon the Conqueror babe second of his name woof that was cringe (laughs) (laughs) but it was very meaningful it shows the point here they're pushing for this child to be the heir they're not just pushing for it they're just kind of saying that's what it they're just assuming that's the case and especially hobert hobert Hobart, yeah, Hobart, yeah he seems particularly i don't know bold yeah. about acknowledging the son prince showing up and not the princess or barely even the king he's like hey everyone it's the prince is here <laughs> hey applaud yeah uh, but he is hobert high lord hobert hightower lord of the hightower otto's older brother so he is uh, one of the most powerful lords in westeros so he does 
come from a position of thinking he can get away with quite a bit. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of leeway. And Vasaris might allow people to get away with more than, I don't know, Tywin would have. Or whoever, True. Yeah. We already had that Baratheon comment. The queen never was right in his face there, and he didn't seem to be bothered by that. So, yeah, this is someone that you can get away with that. Around we'll get him. to it later, I'm sure, but the, the two ladies, Lannister and Redwine, were <sighs> a little subversive in they that were. type of gossip publicly they were having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they were just open there right in front of Rhaenyra with Allison and his wife sitting right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they weren't afraid of saying what was on their mind. So, yeah, that is really telling, I'd say. In a way, it almost maybe is good that people feel free to speak. But yeah, in a way maybe is, yeah. they shouldn't feel that free to speak that negatively. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. So the episode is actually called Second of His Name, like Aegon, who they're trying to make Aegon the second. It is his second birthday as well. So it's not only second of his name, but second of his name days. Three whole years have passed because last we saw, he wasn't even um, a seed yet. wasn't even a a fetus yet. (laughs) A few themes and patterns before we get into it. Things to keep as an overall view of the episode. Learning to fly in the metaphorical way, a little bit in the literal way. We see Lanor flying his dragon for the first time. It's not the first time he flew it, but the Septones will be the first time he flew it in battle. Uh, at this point, three years forward, he's got some experience. But still, he's getting. looks like he's getting pretty good at it. Having it your way. I'm not talking about a fast food restaurant. I mean, you want it your way and you won't do it in any other way. That's a really common part of this. Getting to the point. But getting it to your, getting it the way you want, not anyone else's way. Pride is the primary driver of this. It's arguably a theme all of its own, especially with great lines like "His pride has pride." Mm-hmm. In reference to Jason Lannister, Viserys, of course, not necessarily recognizing that he's quite proud himself. So is his brother. So is his daughter, and they all just seem to forget how proud they all are <laughs> when speaking to each other, and they're it's constantly stepping fitting. on each other's feet. It's very fitting considering he's a Lannister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. It's not just a it's a triple meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a lot of characters being on edge, lost tempers, lashing out, breaking down, rebelliousness from Rhaenyra, Damon having his different version of petulance when his pride is very tweaked by the idea of getting help. But at the end, new perspective, rebirth. Fire and blood. In fire and blood. There's lots of fire and blood. Both Damon and Rhaenyra and the episode covered in blood. (laughs) There's fire everywhere. The huge bonfire at the hunt. The torches and the trees. A lot of the scenes are at night. Not to mention the dragons, the fire arrows. I mean, just lots of that. All three of them slay a beast, meaning all three of our Targaryens are people with Targaryen names. There's more characters with Targaryen heritage. But uh, not, of course, counting baby Aegon, who technically is a Targaryen too. But... He's too young to be killing things. He's playing with the baby dragon, but a boar, a stag, and a crab. There you go. A little more on that later, and we'll get into the details of that. A lot of nonverbal communication. A lot of people who say nothing <laughs> and say it, but communicate a lot. More details on that later. And, of course, that, that music taking over thing, which is part of that, with the, the vocals being shut out, focused on the emotion and the music backing it. You know, a lot of times, uh, uh, I don't know, a... Uh, rule of thumb for filmmaking is show me don't tell me yeah and in this show in many shows i understand they have a lot to tell us sometimes we need a little <laughs> exposition and they do a pretty good job with things like a tournament or a council meeting to to deliver that in a little more natural way but but beyond that in this episode there was a lot more you know like seeing things without having to to be told or dialogue or explained. Uh, another thing too, by the way, I haven't got this very thought out, but I just wanted to throw it out there and I'll think about it more. Fire and Blood, there's a lot of other... 
meanings that it can have. Like, I think we usually <laughs> think of it as, like, dragons and, and, and violence and combat or whatever, but it could mean passion and family. Okay. Yeah. And it's still pretty fitting. And I yeah, bet there's, like, blood. 20 yeah, more, yeah. you know, words you could switch out that would come up with Great fitting point. meanings. I'm going to think about that more, but I want to throw it out now. It's pretty loaded. You're right. Yeah, so weigh in not only with your favorite moments, but your interpretations of these themes, particularly the fire and blood one or whichever one catches your attention the most. And any uh, particular notable comments we might get shared on the episode here. So let's talk about the hunts and the hunted. It's kind of a two-way street here. Rainier's sense of isolation has been growing. Though she remains heir, she expects that it's temporary. She feels herself being pushed aside, not only by actions, but by how everyone else around her is behaving. Like, they just, they're celebrating her half-brother. They're openly calling him your grace and the heir. And he, she feels this and notices it. It's not, I guess it's not hard not to notice. One of the few people trying to be her friend still is Allison, but Rhaenyra just isn't hearing it. There's, uh, she just she feels too betrayed by the whole situation. She's become pretty petulant, confrontational, maybe even bitter. As Viserys says at, at the end of the episode, he calls her angry and alone. And of course, this is the scene where he puts her mind at ease at last, and he frankly is angry and alone too. <laughs> so, and maybe Damon is as well. That's something they all have in common. I was going to say for her specifically, maybe for those two if you think about it, but she's kind of making it a, a, well, I'm hesitant to use this phrase, but a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Like I don't necessarily want to invoke prophecy because it has so much other meaning here. But she's kind of forcing everyone to keep behaving the way they are. Like, she, yeah. you know, she there are other avenues she could take. Like she could... Except, which is kind of what Vasaris tells her in the end. Like, you just need to accept the way this is, and then you can make the best of it. But yeah. right now, she just won't even accept it. Yeah. But she could even pretend to accept it <laughs> and then try to work around it or work out of it or something. But she's instead making it about the worst possible. You know? Yeah. Especially, that really comes out when she's talking to Kristen. He's like, you know, it's not as bad. He's very diplomatic about it, unlike a lot of other people who are just, like, trying to shut her down and telling her she's gone too far or embarrassing her he's a lot more diplomatic and it gets through to her and that's that's a common theme is like when you speak to them properly when you don't tweak their pride they do listen Viserys even Damon although to be fair Allison tried and she wasn't she was yeah. like is that what the king wants okay fine and she <laughs> yeah. like forced her to pull rank you know yeah, what I mean she right. won't allow her to be her friend she won't give her an out she won't yeah she just wants to be stubborn about it and this is on a yeah, lot of levels understandable yeah. mm-hmm. but uh yeah, we'll, we'll probably talk about this more, but like I, you know, we talked a little last night. I, I, I was like thinking about the differences in this court and this time period and this group of personalities to Game of Thrones. Very like, different. Yeah, there's not like a Cersei and a Littlefinger and a Marjorie you know, who are <laughs> yeah. reading people and figuring out and plotting for the long term. These people are a little bit more like short term, self centered. You know, uh, they miss things more. They're not as yeah. they're not as good at what they do, which makes in some ways makes them maybe a little more believable. Yeah, but some also ways, it makes more sense. They've had less adversity in their lives to be to, yeah. to turn them into people that are have, have experience. In, it, in some ways, maybe even it's because they're better people. Someone who's conniving like Littlefinger, of course he's going to connive, you know? Yeah. Like, But if they're not conniving in the first place, it doesn't make sense for them to be yeah. paying off guards and, you know, spying. And Although Damon was spying behind yeah, the walls on the council. And, yeah. yeah, Littlefinger rose through the ranks. Varys rose through the ranks. Otto was born a Hightower. Like, there's one example right yeah. there of just, he didn't have to fight his way to the top. I mean, he did although, rise, but... Although you know. he is someone who is playing the game he's yes. more so than anyone except maybe allison who That's learned it from him you know those yeah. are the two characters who do seem to have a little bit more big picture awareness and, mm-hmm. and they're both more 
understanding Dip- of the game that's going on. Yes, yeah, yeah, very true. Willing to mold what they say and what they want to the different people around them to what's the momentum that's occurring. Yeah, they cetera. choose their words more carefully, I guess yeah. you could say. But but as we said, there's except even they have failures. Allison can't get through to Rhaenyra. Otto overshoots, you know, yeah. misses sometimes some of other angles. We'll have examples of that later. We thought this episode would be in the West. In uh, looked like they'd be taking their ride all the way there, but we were wrong about that. It's more that they just went south to the Kingswood, which is closer by, and the West kind of met them there. <laughs> just, by the way, a reminder of my unsullied nature. I didn't think that. Well, yeah, we, we talked about that on our Saturday I didn't episode. disagree to it, but it just didn't occur did, Yeah, we yeah. talked about it on Saturday, not, yeah. not when you were on. So Rainier at first is like, yeah, I don't want to go on the hunt. I hate the way the boar squeals when, <laughs> when it gets, killed, <laughs> when it gets yeah. killed and it's like that was boar shadowing hey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because she of course ends up doing that it's a trial by fire she has to go through it it's this trial by oh, trial by fire and um, blood in this case i appreciated the timing there where she goes the boars squeal like children when they're killed and then Aegon makes like a little baby sound and then she yeah. goes it's discomforting <laughs> <laughs> I like also how she won't call him Aegon or her half brother she refers to him as Alicent Hightower's son <laughs> <laughs> oh you know you remind me that I, I was I uh Otto keeps referring it to as my grandson. Yes. Not your yeah. child or the king's son. How did my grandson do yes, this? Yes, he's so well, proud of arrogant his or, king to be. Or yeah. tactful even. Like, he's framing it a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> so, shout out to our friend James, who we're pretty sure is the originator of this very good pun. When the hand of the king to Viserys fixes your mistake, it's autocorrect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. So yeah, the princess and the queen, She, like you said, she pulls rank. She doesn't want to, but she kind of has to, but she is like, it doesn't have to be like this, but yeah, yeah. Rainer's just She didn't even it. mean to. Yeah. Rainer, I don't think she realized Rainer was going to immediately do what she said. You know, she's like, right, if I remember right, yeah. she's like, is that what the king wants? And she's like, like yes, like, okay, I'll do it then. And like, yeah, and she that's didn't your give grace. her a chance yeah. to follow up or explain, Yeah, Yeah, it's really, really... It's sad. Yeah, and, and there's like a reversal of roles because before Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra didn't hold it over her, but Rhaenyra was like the higher ranked of them mm-hmm, before. Like mm-hmm. she was even before she was named heir, she was obviously the Targaryen, the only child of Viserys. And Alicent's very high rank, but it was a bit of a, you know, it was a thing between them. And now it's kind of not just flipped, but the difference is larger. Uh, <laughs> that was a great moment where Aegon. T- she's talking about her pregnancy and how it wasn't that ba- wasn't that bad, and she says it wasn't. He came quickly without fuss, and it immediately cuts over to the nursemaid's face, and she's like, "Cause like a side eye, like I don't know about that." <laughs> I love that detail that we get this common person again. It's another example, nonverbal, but it says so much. Yeah. So she's like, "You are totally lying, or not lying, but you are just wrong." I don't know what exactly, but something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Framing it differently, like it's a better story for the realm that he came smooth and easy yeah, and yeah. not troubly, troublesome or whatever. Yeah, and I think they were maybe also thinking about how Alicent is trying to pave the way for Rhaenyra hmm. to be open to marriage and having kids, and the nurses are like, "Oh, okay, you're you're going there with her." Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, the song as well. We have that Samuel the Bard talk about being caught between. He's like, whose orders do I follow? I just want to sing songs. Although maybe not the same song over and over. He might might have been more likely to take Allison's word for it, just being done with singing that song. How many times? What's the over under? How many times do we think he did it already? Was that the second time or the 27th Yeah, it was probably like seven. Yeah, it's probably been a lot. I'm going to set the line at seven. (laughs) 
It's an auspicious number. It's an auspicious number, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we got some of the lyrics there. Hopefully, maybe we'll get um, more of them at some other point. Maybe a little off off screen. They'll they'll give us more of the lyrics. Yeah, we got some lyrics. uh, Under the dragon's eye, she fled with her ships and her people, her heart broken for those who had died. Hmm. Very so nice. yeah, that is about Nymeria fleeing, and you'll note that uh, in that scene, when we screen capped it, we could see that uh, Rhaenyra was reading about was reading about Nymeria while she listened to a song about Nymeria. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, in the world, she's going full Nymeria. It's true. We we noted when she took a page out of Nymeria's book in episode one, and apparently that was not going to be the only reference to her in Nymeria. So maybe there will be even further references. So yeah, keep I an eye out like, for that. You know, we talked somewhat about um, some of the parallels between Rhaenyra and and uh, Nymeria before. We talked about like having multiple loves throughout her life. We talked about her being like a female ruler. But here what was emphasized to me is it starts with saying she fled with her ships. And Rhaenyra starts off in episode one talking about how she wants to fly away and just go eat cake. And so I feel like there's a little bit of wistfulness in in Rhaenyra reading mm. about this, about the idea of just getting away from it all. Are you saying her ships are Kristen Cole? Because that's who she ran away with. In the- <laughs> <laughs> you ship Kristen and Rhaenyra. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Just kidding. But real quick, I want to ask that they uh, signs importance. Otto mm-hmm. uses that phrase. Isn't that like a book in world too? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I have that in our references section all at the right. end. I'm glad you caught that. So this, let's talk about the second birthday party. The hunt is kind of for the king but it's really more for the boy the second birthday party it's wow. the whole thing is, is for him yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it really is yeah, yeah yeah huge spectacle the whole thing is staged to almost every detail i mean the hunt is just kind of absurd how everything is set up for the king i mean they catch the thing for him they hold it in place they tell him exactly where to stab he steps on a footstool when he's getting off his horse they clap when he's done it's it's very absurd but believable I, that that kings are treated this way, and it really emphasizes how not down to earth he is, how detached he is from reality. How, but and he kind of senses it, but doesn't know exactly what to do about in it. He feels a little ways, lost. I, yeah, in certain I have ways. a million thoughts on this. Go I, for I, it. A couple I want to get out now, but I'm sure more are going to come throughout. But one was I felt like they it was maybe kind of weird or gross, but I think they were demonstrating that he was prepared and willing to really take part in the hunt he got his hands dirty like he grabbed the deer pelts like he's not does that make sense uh so the now despite that clearly everyone around him was keeping him in a bubble like when he goes to get on his horse they're like here step up on his stool like (laughs) everything's kind of being hand fed to him but he was willing to go through the effort it seems and on some level, also, I think about Robert, who ended up getting mm-hmm. himself killed hunting yeah. a boar. And on some level, maybe you can blame Cersei or Lancel for getting him too drunk or something. But also, he went out there hunting a boar. He, like, he put himself in harm's way. He did. And either Viserys he and refused or, help. or... Right. But Viserys and or the people around him are not being so responsible. Like, let's just say you want to go show your stuff as a huntsman. Okay, but you're not a huntsman. You're the king. You have bigger responsibilities, <laughs> you know? So on a lot of levels, I can understand this, and it is probably normal. But I do also, that's part of why I like that moment when he did finally kill it, kill it, because I think it was become very clear to us and him how staged it all was. I think he really went out there to go on his hunt. But he realized through the course of it, I'm really out here to be accosted by all these people. It wasn't just set up. 
for him to succeed in killing his deer. It was also set up for him to be confronted by all these different lords about who the heir was going to yep, be. Just That's at show. least as much of a setup. Absolutely. That was, and I wondered if on some level he thought, even if he didn't plan it this way, he had this background idea in his mind. I'll go out and hunt this deer. It'll be fun. But also... Renera is gonna get to meet her suitors. Yeah, he had this idea to marry her off, and it's but, like it's double. Yeah, it's like, but he doesn't realize <laughs> Otto is doing the same thing to him. He yeah. it becomes clear through the way, and he gets more and more frustrated by it. Anyway, um, uh, was there? I'm having a million more things, but I feel like there's another certain thing I wanted to say. We'll come back to that in a second. Now, yeah. yeah, part of the point of gathering so many lords, as you said, is to just overwhelm the Sarahs with the idea that just. The attitude is that this boy is going to inherit. They just take it for granted, and they want to overwhelm him with just how many people see it that way. I suspect that Otto invited only certain lords, the ones that would agree with him on that, and maybe disinclined to invite some of the ones who are or who are more likely to be staunch for Rhaenyra. And Rhaenyra maybe doesn't get that. She doesn't really realize that maybe the attendees are... There's hand some selected, hand selected, yeah. hand, literally hand Biased, selected like by hand the hand. Selected. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I meant to make that pun, of course. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's also another misstep on Otto's part because he he overwhelmed the king with it. He did. The, he That's put him in yeah. his defensive position. Yes. And so he, there was no one for him to relate to or confide in. It was only people who were opposed to him over and over. So it forced him to like lay down the law. Yeah. It got him frustrated. I, I think it it worked against Otto's intention I agree. in the end. Yeah. And this is an example of Otto maybe not being quite as smooth as a little finger or a Varus. He, he has the right idea, but his ambitions sometimes get the better of him, perhaps. He maybe doesn't think it all through. I'm not entirely sure how to He's, frame it. But I know how to frame it. He's too heavy-handed. Oh! <laughs> that one I meant to do. <laughs> there you go. And, yeah, it's like the old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. That's, yeah, Viserys, Damon, and Alice. I'm not Allison. Viserys, Damon, and Rhaenyra are all like that. If you put the, force them, they shut down. Mm. Otherwise, Viserys is quite amiable. You can convince him. You just have to do be smooth about it. Allison, again, is the master at this. <laughs> She's better than anyone else, even better than her father at it, at least so far. But you're right. This was too much of putting him into a corner and f- forcing him. It was like the Lena decision when everyone's telling him to marry Lena. And that actually was the problem. If maybe a fewer people had told him to marry Lena, he might have actually done it. He even recognized <laughs> it about Rhaenyra, too. He's yeah. like, if I told her not to marry the Lannister, they probably would have got married. Yeah, he realizes <laughs> he doesn't see that about himself. He doesn't see how similar he is yeah. to his child and his uncle and his brother. <laughs> but it's yeah, a little, little bit of uh, blind in one eye and and seeing clearly out of the other, like crab Cragus crab feeder apparently. So yeah, she's getting so bad, like you said, that she's like cutting off her nose to spite her face to, to spite her father she's harming her own future by shunting out potential friends and allies which is what she needs like she's isolated she's lonely but she's making herself more like that she's making it worse yeah sorry i'm distracted just because you made me think of something is Vasaris cutting off his own fingers <laughs> despite his hand <laughs> oh my goodness we are really getting pony today folks punch drunk with an incomplete hand? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, we also have these gossiping ladies, which backs, which provides another angle into this attitude of who's there and what they're saying. They openly discuss what should be done in the Stepstones. Uh, they call Corlys Velaryon the Sea Snake, which uh, no one has called him that to his face yet. I wonder if 
he likes that name? I don't know yet. It, it I'm, occurs to me it could be a derogatory it term. It might be. Yeah, I never thought of it that way before. It's but. his own ship, so I don't know that it would be that insulting, but I, it's it's not Lord Corlys, which is his, you know, that's usually what you call people mm-hmm. <laughs> by their time, especially someone that powerful and rich. Uh, so that's notable. But yeah, we've got Kira Lannister and Lady Redwine, who has her pug eating cake there. Let them eat cake. Uh, and that's Can a good I example. Say, I don't know about y'all. But I, as much as I love seeing nice animals, I was not very happy with seeing a pug in this world because there was a lot of stuff that went on in the background in the real world to engineer pugs to look like that. Yeah. So it personally did draw me out. Like, honestly, I have, I would say I have one complaint about this episode and it's the pug. <laughs> right. I, I don't have any other real complaints. I love I, this episode. But that, like, I was like, wait, how did they get a pug in Westeros? It to me it's not doesn't it fits to me because dogs I don't know four hundred ish years ago there were only like seven different dogs in the whole world almost all the different weird crazy variety of dogs that we see were bred by just rich nobles in Europe in like the sixteen hundreds or something yeah I guess I just picture so, them being bred later on and not in this type of in this time in Westeros I don't imagine they're they have them having bred pugs so it doesn't take I, any modern technology on, to do it right, on one hand I agree but we know that the the Targaryens or uh, Valyrians would do like weird breeding That's things, true. and these lord nobles with their power and their money could have They're, weird hobbies. Yeah. They, they mess around with animals. And birds so. and all yeah. sort of stuff. That's yeah. a good point. You actually do yeah. make me feel better thinking about the Valyrians doing genetic modification type things. Instead of blood magic, it's pug magic. That might even be a way to like suck up to the Valyrians to have a pug <laughs> as a pet. You know, like, <laughs> like you can't come in unless you have a dogs. pug. We're like your ally, yeah. or some other flat-faced animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So these gossiping ladies, yeah, it's another example of she could speak to them kindly. She doesn't have to shut them down, but she'd rather she feels better with the satisfying cut down than maybe finding a chord with them. It's probably unwise to talk to them that way, even though it's probably feel felt good in the moment. But it's another example of her just shutting down possible allies who could maybe help support her claim. Instead, she's arguably pushing them towards baby Aegon, which is mm-hmm. definitely not what she wants to do. Like, even on some level, they maybe needed to be put in their place a little, but she did it in a way that Openly, they don't, yeah, right, they don't feel like we have to do what she says. They feel like we have to make sure she's not the one that we have to do what they yeah. say, right? You know, we're going to support this other person now. You know? And one of the things they most want to avoid is being embarrassed. I mean, that's like mm-hmm. very high on their list yeah. of things that they don't want. And she just does that. And, and like everyone's sitting there and even Al- and Allison gives her a little smile because she's like, nice one. But Rhaenyra's like stone face like yeah. nope, you, t- you too yeah. <laughs> no, like, there was a moment where Rainier it does soften towards Allison there it's, br- it's pretty brief it's brief like, but when Allison says you know the, pr- the princess is the is the best person for the job essentially Rainier it does yeah. have a little like oh thank you for that yeah that's a good point yeah there, there's al- there's an almost she's Allison's trying to rebuild that bridge but it's just too broken <laughs> Let's move on to Viserys, the drunken dreamer. He, he loses his temper several times. One of them is with Jason. He, he's likely in physical pain as well, as well as emotional. He's definitely in emotional pain. Those fingers probably hurt a lot. Yeah, he's probably less than he was. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. thought that was just something I thought was maybe even a little unrealistic in a prior episode when his finger was just black, you know, yeah. gangrene or something set in. Like, you would be ill. Your whole body, your blood would be poisoned. You would be yeah, delirious. You know, maybe they have him on drugs, but uh, it maybe even maybe... Uh, excuse some mistakes he might make, you know, mm-hmm. some misreads or loss of uh, temper or something like that. It's probably not like 
happy and fine now <laughs> nope. but probably once they cut it off not as bad as it was and you can you see know? here it's hard to most of the episode he has gloves on but but when he's talking to allison after the hunt he is uh, right before he sends help to the stepstones uh you can see quite clearly that there are two missing fingers yeah. there i was looking for it too because he had gloves on so often and in in the hunt when he's holding that spear it's a <laughs> shot where his fingers are kind of up and i thought maybe he can't <laughs> yeah. grip or move them but then when it, in that scene it's first it's like they were hiding from it it's like you have to be like halfway through the scene because they i saw he didn't have gloves on but they kept showing one hand and a camera would move and you saw like the tip of his thumb <laughs> yeah, finally yeah. it's like there it is there so it is like Leonardo <laughs> yeah, that was a good catch <laughs> so he's fed up with the politicking he's fed up with the endless marriage offers he hates disappointing people and he, he he remarks that he's forever doomed to disappoint one person by pleasing another he says he's on the hunt to hunt not to politic but as we discussed on saturday a royal hunt is like modern golf games at the country club it's where the politicking happens like it's, it's, it's kind of naive for him to think it's not going to happen there it's it's she should have seen it coming. Lots and lots of business is discussed in places like this. This is this is a cover for the networking and power playing that's happening in the background. But it's an obvious cover, and it's kind of wild that Viserys doesn't doesn't see it that way. He's yeah, I call him a bit naive for that. And Rhaenyra doesn't get that either, I guess, because uh, he didn't teach teach her that. <laughs> it's, it's not that this was an oversight of I should have taught her this, but didn't because I don't view her as my heir. No, he didn't notice it either. And this is the old boys network. And this is something that he should have told her when he's like, why should I participate in this? Why should I? And he's like, because, you know, it's your duty. He doesn't say he doesn't break it down and say, this is where power happens. You need to participate in the old boys games if you want to rule the old boys you can't rise to power by shunning where power happens and it sucks remember but it's that's the case that's in what's that happened. last episode when he was like you'll learn and i was like learn what you got to tell her what exactly to learn. yeah same thing here <laughs> he, he he's missing some opportunities and i don't know if it's because like he just assumes she knows or should know or figure it out. Maybe he doesn't want her to know. Maybe he's just that. I don't know. He's. I don't know. I, I mean, the, several times kind of the point has been made in many ways. He's not yeah. necessarily a good leader. But if I feel like you should improve, you know, like. <laughs> uh, uh, so, but um, uh, I, I had another thought uh, that uh, he's maybe uh, maybe not just naive. He might be a little stubborn. He might, on mm, some level, willful, know it, yeah. but doesn't. Mm. He just is like, "Look, I'm here to hunt. Stop talking to me about this." Yeah, you know? yeah. He just, Which he's again, kind of just dropping the hammer there, yeah. Rather than not knowing that's how it is, he's just like, "No, look, yeah. leave me alone. I want to hunt." Yeah, he may be not completely unaware. You're right. Maybe give him a little more credit than that. And that might also be why uh, that uh, Lan- Jason Lannister, no, Ty- Tylen. Jason was the Lord, and Tylen's his younger brother, his twin brother, who's Tylen was yeah. on the council, yes. probably in, in the stead of Corlys, and he kept pushing. Right, like yeah. it was clearly the king didn't want to hear it, but he kept Just coming like at him. Just like did. Yes, yes, <laughs> and it's uh, the same result. This is, nope, yep, same nope, result. Shut yep. up. <laughs> but he also might have been uh, Corliss might do that because he's you know, pushy or stubborn or arrogant or whatever, uh, or maybe fed up with Viserys. But yeah. this guy might be doing it because he doesn't know him yet. He's not. Yeah. He's too new at this to realize I need to back off. He's probably too young, doesn't understand the politics either. Naive, yeah, whatever that's it is. True. You know? So a question about Thailand: Are we supposed to take from this that Thailand is now ascended to master of ships while yeah. Corlys is gone? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's he. It may be a temporary appointment, but. Corlys has been gone for three years. You think you'd have to have yeah. a ma- you can't just go without a master ships. So it makes sense that he's, he's reporting the- to him about 
stuff in the ships about the ships and he in canon was the master of ships for a time so yeah so it does it totally fits and it's not like any of the other jobs have been like we still have the same master laws i mean he's obviously not going to be maester uh you know and there still is no master whispers so yeah uh we didn't see the master coin lyman beesbury but we can assume he just didn't go on the trip he's an older guy like melos which is probably why he wasn't traveling with them either now, Ryan Condal says he was fascinated by the character of Daron the Drunken from Duncan Egg, Egg's oldest brother. You remember him? This is a similar. Now, I know it's, it's tempting to think of Robert here and with the drinking and the hunting, and that does fit in some ways, but this is a little more subtle and fits quite well as well as a, uh, as a parallel. It's almost in reverse, though. Viserys laments that he isn't a dreamer. He had the one dream, and he's been chasing that dream again. He wants to have it back. It's like chasing the dragon. He drinks because he's sad, whereas Daron was drinking because the dreams were overwhelming, and he was trying to shut them out, to mute them, to stop the dreams, uh, to lose himself in, in alcohol. He lacks the clarity that he thinks dreams could give him. He thinks the dreams are proof of what he should do it, it answers questions that he doesn't know how to answer through his own decision making process he wants like a higher power to tell him what to do almost but he can't get there you know uh, unsullied as i may be in this time period i read and loved the Dunkin' egg books and yeah. uh I, I i felt proud of myself for immediately realizing the parallels here there's even i think more than what you're saying because daron was also uh sort of lost right he had mm. one brother was a good fighter he was like a, he had older brothers like he didn't have really have the his role figured out then i think Vasaris is kind of in a similar situation point, yeah. where like mm. if people have these expectations for him that he doesn't know how to fulfill mm. you know in addition to the dreams and the stress and then i don't i don't I, I get the idea that the drinking is coming on in this moment or in this phase of his life whereas darren has like maybe been that way like since he's a teenager or whatever it was like it's overcome it's be it's uh become the centerpiece of his character right like yeah. people know him as the drunk that's not the case of Vasaris. yet anyway i worry that that may uh, push farther i don't know where this is going but it right seems on. like it's uh, becoming an issue yeah i agree and and un, he has like we've said uh, an unwillingness maybe it's a willful stubbornness or sometimes a complete blindness to his own uh, shortcomings as especially as they compare to his family who have the same shortcomings He's very frustrated with people pulling him in many directions, blames a lot of other people for this, but he does blame himself for his wife, Jess. He's come around on that, and it's a very powerful confession. A lot of people at the time said it is his fault, and now he's agreeing with that. So some people probably found that a bit like, yeah, all right, well, this is a great moment because he's admitting that. He's, I, was, I was glad Allison did not console him there. Yeah. He didn't say, oh, no, you didn't He's like, that. yeah, you may have done and that. She just like, nodded. Like, yeah, yeah. Again, she just handles it so well. Allison is just like the perfect companion for this. He says, what if I was wrong? It's so powerful. It's really, really amazing. It's really powerful. It's really amazing. And it's really hard to understand as well. It's uh, meaning from to put yourself in his place. People, not that people haven't lost loved ones in tragic circumstances like that, but the part of the prophetic dream part that you can't really relate to. Yeah, and yeah. what if I was wrong when he says that, what if I was wrong based on the prophecy? That's the part he's wondering like, well, maybe I interpreted this wrong. Was the dream right or wrong? He wrestles it with the whole time. And then it, it culminates with the hunt. We'll get to a little bit later, but yeah. What, I, what do you have to say here? Did I wonder if in his mind, there's more than one thing he wonders if, if he's wrong about, am I wrong about how I handle Damon? Am I wrong about letting auto be in my hand? He's probably questioning a lot of different things. Yes. Right? And that level of superstition is part of what Otto is leveraging. He, he, I think he, this is what we said. He misplayed it a bit. He overplayed this hand, his mm -hmm. hand, literally. And it's too unsubtle, for one thing. They're just like, everyone's just over and over like, the white heart is so auspicious. Eventually, he's just like, 
yeah, I get it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's over the top on purpose. And the reason they do that is because of this. They Otto knows that he's a believer in signs and portents and stuff. So he he's trying to leverage this, but he it's not done well. It's it's he doesn't fully grasp Viserys's mind on this. For one, he doesn't right right. He I don't doesn't... think Otto, I get the sense that Viserys hasn't shared this type of secret with Otto. But he, Otto's kind of aware of it. I don't think that Otto understands the commitment that he feels to Rhaenyra. Oh, Does that yeah. makes sense. Okay. I think that's yeah. that, I think that's the thing, a primary thing, if not the thing that uh, Viserys is torn, is struggling internally over, is this commitment he made to his daughter. Now, mixed up in that, of course, also is the prophecy and other decisions of his life and his brother and all this other stuff. But it's not so easy to him to just flip to this new heir because he made this commitment to, and. Uh, he didn't spell it out to her and the realm specifically since the new son was born. But I mean, I feel like calling all the lords up to bow down <laughs> to her. Like I, I think it's fair for him to feel like he's made a commitment. You know, very good point. Yeah, and the line that I think Allison really summarizes a lot of the a, a line that a lot of characters should take to heart if they're trying to convince someone of something is uh, he has to think it's his decision. Mm. You can't force him into something. He has to think it's that is what. Allison says to Viserys about Damon, but or or about Rhaenyra as well, and she's applying it to all, and it's really him as well. He he falls under that umbrella too, and it's something that Otto has realized. But yeah, like we said, he's not on the level of Littlefinger or Varys, and just as Allison nails this moment, she kind of misses it on Damon, or at least doesn't. Or maybe it's fair to say that Viserys misses it. His note doesn't take into account Damon's pride. He doesn't show understanding of what's going to bother him. Or the optics of the aftermath. Which, yeah. th- that was another thing I, that's the other thing I wanted to say earlier about the hunt. Okay. It was a parallel to the tournament earlier, mm. right? We're celebrating the son's birth by having people fight and kill each other. I don't know if this violent moment yeah. is a way to celebrate the new lord, right? And just uh, like what Rainey said during the tournament, it, exactly. She pointed out mm, she recognized it wasn't catch. a good optic, yeah. and it's the same thing. If Asaras had thought through how this hunt was going to go. If he had realized ahead of time they're going to bring the stag up with two men holding it down while I stab it, and yeah. <laughs> like, ah, it doesn't look the best, you know. Yeah. Like I, I think he's just not thinking ahead to how things are going to play out. Like Maybe it's, not, it's yeah. oftentimes <laughs> people have like a good idea right now, but you don't think about how it's going to play out in the long run or how it might look or how the details could have been handled differently. And I and I think a lot of the mistakes that Vizaris is making come down to that. You know? Yeah, and some of the other characters too. To be fair, true. He has this really amazing line when he's lamenting to Alicent drinking and in front of the bonfire. He says, what is the power of dragons next to the power of prophecy? What a great line. There's a lot of really single lines in this episode that were just phenomenal. And yeah, it does tell you a lot about him and what he thinks and what he thinks is important and what moves him. Like he's always been a little reluctant about dragons. Like even when Lena, the little girl, was like trying to talk about the big dragons, he was like kind of trying to dodge the subject. He wasn't really wanting to talk about that, <laughs> but she was all about it. <laughs> so you had some thoughts on this as well, huh? I have. A, I still haven't gotten them together. I thought so much about this <clears throat> on the surface, and probably what they intend is that he feels like the power of prophecy is more powerful than dragons. Mm-hmm. Okay, but keep in mind, first of all, he thinks dragons are a power that men shouldn't have messed with. 
Yeah. So something more mm-hmm. powerful than that. He also might think you shouldn't be messing with, <laughs> especially as he's reflecting on the decisions he's made based on his dreamy head and how it's not coming out like he thought. And like, uh, maybe just like dragons, this is the wrong power to lean on or to use. Also keep in mind the power of prophecy. Is it really a power? Like, it's Knowing the future yeah, is yeah, different yeah. from being able to affect the future, and it's yeah. almost a curse, <laughs> right? He keeps trying to match up to it, and there it was kind of a curse to Daron. It's kind of a curse to Melisandre and Stannis, maybe. Like it's it's. Uh, it's almost like he maybe doesn't know what he's asking for, right? It's yeah. <laughs> so uh, on a lot of levels. I I thought about this. Like I think if he intended to think of a pro- the power of prophecies being more powerful than the dragons, I'm not so sure he's right about that. But he might have intended to think of it as. More of a curse than even dragons. You yeah, might have a yeah. different take on this than the average person. Anyway, and he I'm points still out, thinking about it. But. And he points out how one is a lot rarer than the other. Like the, of the two, the, the dreamers are rarer than the dragon riders and, yeah. within his family and presumably elsewhere, but maybe not. <laughs> when, anyway. When Viserys says he hasn't had that dream again about Aegon, yeah. do you think he's saying he hasn't had prophetic dreams again or just not like he wants that specific dream do you think he's been having other dreams that is unclear i'm i think he was very specific about that dream that he, yeah he, that he wanted he, to repeat yeah. that and which is also i was like well do they often repeat prophetic dreams period hmm. i think so because a lot of the dreams we've seen are like like for example all the dreamers after the dragon tie out or of the dragons returning yeah. so it is, seems to be a recurring dream. It was, i think well i, I adds to that damon daron's like trauma from the nightmares well recurring across generations but i more mean like once you have the dream you don't do you ever have it no that's what i'm saying daron that's what drove daron mad and to drink because he had the same dream yeah he kept having the same very similar dreams about the dragons returning but it might be different for him than other dreamers yeah you know and uh i i think viserys doesn't have other dreams i don't think it's explicit but i don't think he does the first time after i watched it my instinct i came away feeling like he has dreams, like he is a dreamer, but he just hasn't had this one again. The second okay. time I watched it, I feel like, oh, I think he just hasn't had any more dreams. Yeah. I still feel like if I watch it again, I might rethink it. But mm-hmm. but on second watch, I came away feeling like he just doesn't – he had that one dream he doesn't have anymore. That's so. where I'm at too. Is, is that kind of where you land I'm on a show? Or do you think maybe? Where, I'm kind of where Sean's at where okay. I'm, I'm vacillating back and forth between the two, which is why I wanted to pose it to the um, – question i don't think that's the only dream he's ever had but i think it might be that he hasn't had another dream since mm. then another one that he maybe registered as, as possibly prophetic maybe one will be like oh wow i had that dream and now, i feel like any dream <laughs> he has he probably yeah. registers as potentially prophetic it does seem that he wants to be like he definitely wants to have it so i think if he was a dreamer he would there would be more evidence of it but anyway we'll we'll see definitely maybe a situation to keep an eye on it might make him feel better about having been thrust into this role too mm, right maybe, like yeah. he feels unworthy what's you might have some amount of imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not supposed to, it was supposed to be Rainey's or someone else. I need to have a son. To, you know, he's trying to live up to this thing. And that's one way he could do it. If I was a dreamer, <laughs> a dreamer yeah. can't do anything right. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. It's a disappointment in himself. He blames himself or just, yeah. Laments what's, what's not, what could have been. All right. We're roughly at our halfway point here. Let's give a couple shout outs and uh, take a few questions and move on. We've got lots of the same uh, angle sh- uh, things to cover from different angles and some parts we haven't talked about yet. We haven't even barely touched on the battle yet, but more about the hunt as well as to come. A shout out to our Patreons and subscribers on Spotify where you get our bonus episodes. We also have a old Valar Reedus 
uh, that has been re-engineered. Some of y'all already have access to this on Patreon. It's being uploaded to our Spotify uh, subscribers uh, zone as well. And it's all the Daenerys Val Arboretus chapters in a row. It's a different way to take in the material and maybe a little more appropriate given House of the Dragon is more character-focused, focused on certain individuals. It's not as sprawling a story of Game of Thrones. And that maybe puts you in the mind to focus on a single POV. And Danny is a really good one for some obvious reasons because of being a Targaryen. But also, there's a lot of mention in those episodes about Kristen Cole, Rhaenyra, Rhaegar, especially the Song of Ice and Fire, the House of the Undying. And it, I noticed that we have Hot D for House of the Dragon. But before Hot D, we had Hot U, House of the Undying. Yes, so <laughs> before Hot D, there was Hot U. And yes, I'm calling you hot. All of you. Every one of you. You're all hot. <laughs> The Westerosi Ninja asks, where the heck was Rhaenys and Melis in the Stepstones, especially if they were in such trouble? We did theorize on Saturday that it would be a cool thing to happen to show up, but the bottom line is they took about eight months to do the CGI for a lot of the dragons, so it's not a small thing to add in another dragon. I think logically, maybe they would have had it there. On the other hand, Melis didn't participate in the Stepstones in can book canon either, so... Is Melis... The name of Rainey's is Dragon? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I, didn't think about it too actively, but I, it it does occur to me to think about it. Uh, maybe it's too dangerous to have both of the the Valerian matriarch and patriarch oh, yeah, in maybe. battle there. Maybe someone needs to stay at home. And She's not going to, she didn't want to be on campaign, but yeah. <laughs> but when they sent for more help, maybe could have asked her to come. But yeah, I guess they just, that just wasn't what they, didn't what they want to do. Maybe even Vasaurus forbid it. He's like, no, two dragons is enough. Maybe, you need maybe. To stay here. I don't want to send him more help. Uh, maybe she wasn't even all behind it. That's a possibility, too. She mm. might not have necessarily been happy about Vasaurus, about uh, Corliss going to Damon. I tend to doubt that because of how threatening it was to their, their yeah, power potential. That's true. But, but anyway, we'll, we'll see about that. Holy Potato JD says, what's Sean drinking? Well, what are you drinking? I have mixed a blueberry nectarine bang with a berry protein naked drink. And good old Mountain Dew. And it's really good. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> For My People sends a super chat and says, Rhaenyra's blood-soaked protagonist walk was boss. Oh, yeah, it was. It's a real turnaround. We were going to talk about this a little later, but no no problem talking about it now. It's super symbolic to have her covered in blood. It's With the fire and everything, trial by blood and fire, she's renewed. Rhaenyra renewed. And... While everyone, it's also a contrast to how she's treated at the beginning. Everyone, she feels like everyone's ignoring her at at first. And they kind of (laughs) are. But when she walks in the camp, covered in blood, they're like, whoa, boss lady. Only, like we said, only Jason was like, ew. But he had already, she had already rejected him. So that was probably like sour grapes, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I don't Mm -hmm. want you after all. You know, I didn't want you anyway. (laughs) You're not just going to sit at home and do what I say, are you? No. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't really going to build you that dragon pit anyway. That was just to sell. Yeah. So uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It was a really powerful moment. Um, th- look at the shot on the screen here, especially looking down on the camp from a, from afar. There's definitely that's some symbolism there. Looking down on the mall mm-hmm. like from this high ridge, White Stag walks up and she shows it mercy. Yeah, very symbolic. And of course, the White Stag is supposed to symbolize that she's the true heir. I think most people caught that. Pat- Patrice Lubum- Lumumba sends a comment saying that the White Stag finding Rhaenyra symbolizes that she is the true heir and not Aegon. That's certainly how she's going to see it. <laughs> part of why it gives part of her renewed confidence is there. Might have Im- impacted Kristen Call as well, seeing that. You know, he was the only other witness to that. And maybe he'll spread the story. Maybe she will. Maybe she'll keep it to herself. Who knows? This is a good segue to our next section. 
The heart in conflict with itself. Haha, <laughs> you see what I did there. Brown heart and white heart. One of the few few confirmed characters that we know of who had Targaryen blood but isn't one is Damon the Second Blackfire, aka John the Fiddler. He won't be born for seven to 80, 70 to eighty years. This is, of course, the plot of the Mystery Knight, the third Duncan Egg novel. But he comes to mind not just for that reason, but because he thought he was destined for greatness, but wound up in the muck and mocked as the Brown Dragon. So Brown Dragon, Brown Heart, you see where I'm going with this. He was not the object of prophecy he thought he was. Just like this heart, the Brown Heart showed up for to kind of disprove a lot of the auspices that Otto was trying to arrange. It was very disappointing. It really backfired on him, didn't it? But more on that in a second. He, he, uh, Damon II dreamt of his cousin Egg, is what it seems to be what really happened, as it turned out. Sadly, Egg, too, will apparently fall victim to prophecy, culminating at Summerhall, possibly including some dreams of his own. But that is another story, and also hasn't happened yet, another 130, 50 years before that happens. Viserys has very mixed feelings about the final kill, as we've discussed in a few different ways. He's glad it's not the White Heart, because if it was, he would be wrong about his daughter's heir. It would be like, oh, maybe my son is the one. It might validate his dream. So it's kind of a relief that his dream was wrong. It proves he's not a dreamer, but maybe... (laughs) It, it might just prove that he's misinterpreting his dream also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's the power you should want. It's not the power of prophecy. The power to properly interpret prophecy. <laughs> that's the power you really want. Yeah, so this really backfired on Otto and Jason and all them because they were setting this up to be an auspicious omen. And it turns out to be an inauspicious omen. It doesn't just backfire. It backfires in the on the superstitious side. It's They put too many eggs in one basket on this. Mm. And it, it totally, yeah, it summer hauled on them. It went from good omen to bad omen. I mean, it's like Robert Baratheon, the, <laughs> like the the stag that's had its throat ripped out by a direwolf that in turn kills the direwolf yeah, <laughs> to begin your yeah. Game of Thrones. Super symbolic. This is very similar here. Similar energy, and especially because that moment, this moment, is interpreted as prophetic by Viserys and reinforces his belief in his daughter. He later tells her, I was wavering, but I'm not going to waver anymore. Like, things have shown to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reinvigorate uh, my support for you, restate it, make it clear. Very, uh, very similar to what we were seeing with Robert and Ned and all that symbolism and, and prophecy uh, and foreshadowing for them. Two things. One, I just now registered what you meant when you said too many eggs in one basket. So I just <laughs> acknowledge that real quick. Also, uh, just another thought about prophecy or the nature of it or whatever. I, sure. Not that there's a right way to do it, or it's hard to know how you would behave in a world that had fantastic elements. But I feel like if there's a prophecy, I would just do what I was going to do anyway and not worry about the prophecy. The hmm. prophecy's going to happen. I, I, trying to make it happen, if you really believe in it, then you shouldn't need to fulfill it, per se. Yeah. It's going to happen anyway. Whatever you do will lead to that. That's That would be the approach yeah, I would take. I, yeah, it's know? like it's going to happen no matter what I do. Yeah, 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 like even if I'm doing the wrong thing, like if, the, like if a Targaryen needs to be on the throne for the prophecy to come true and I don't have a son, well, that must mean some other Targaryen is going to come along. That's it. <laughs> if I don't do it, it doesn't mean the prophecy is not going to happen. I, I think if if you believe in a prophecy, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. So when she runs off, Kristen Cole runs off with her, and she. this is kind of a sign of how few supporters she has at this point. They kind of joke and play around a bit, and there's some smiles back and forth, but it gets serious when, when it gets dark. There's the joke about, do you want me to kill him, about, <laughs> about Jason, and yeah, that's kind of funny. And there's this point about Kristen having adventurous youth, and they talk about the, the differences and 
what his options for marriage were versus what hers were. And she reveals her own kind of sheltered nature a bit where she doesn't kind of get how other people's lives are. She kind of says, woe is me when she doesn't really realize that it, there's woe is me. If you're a common born person, it's probably quite a bit worse. Like, yes, you have to put up with your dad putting you to the side. It would be so much worse if you were a commoner. She just Do you think a that. common girl doesn't get put aside by her dad. Yeah. Or worse. <laughs> like, yeah. Like your dad doesn't. Is, that, isn't dad's it? not arranging a marriage also. There or, are yeah. far worse fathers out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He reminds her that she has more power than she thinks. She helps kind of, he helps Rainier kind of realize that she doesn't have as few options as she thinks she does. She's like, look, you made me a Kingsguard. You lifted me up. This is, maybe you should acknowledge that that's a significant source of power. Like, you changed my life. Everything I have, I owe to you. You know, and like, you completely changed my whole story. My whole house has never had an honor this big. You changed my whole house. Like, and she's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I didn't see that. It's a very good bit of dialogue there and very meaningful. It's another thing I try to remind myself of also that uh, I had this thought watching Reservation Dogs. That, like, mm. I can't believe these teenagers don't perfectly understand emotions and relationships. <laughs> of course, <laughs> she, it makes sense that she needs to learn some lessons. She's not going to do everything right, but she's a little, uh, some of her mistakes are some, she's kind of caught up in her own head or being stubborn or whatever it is but you know i had that i had the same thought about sansa like yeah. what do we think that this 13 year old girl gonna make perfect political plays <laughs> up against cersei and littlefinger of course she's <laughs> gonna make some errors but she's also gonna grow and learn and i assume renee will too hopefully a bunch of people don't go get killed in the meantime you know that's yeah. the, the danger here but <laughs> so there's also the moment with the boar actual attacks again this is a reminder of robert's boar of course renee survives robert is killed by it of course, she's not trying to take on all the danger herself. Um, and uh, th this scene had people exclaiming in the theater. It was pretty neat. Um, there's also a really symbolic moment here when he draws his sword very slowly. There's that very slight sound. He's trying to draw it quietly, but the camera's focused on Rhaenyra. That's very sexual. Drawing his sword while the camera's focused on her, I think that's suggestive. Um, so, something to keep in mind. Possible foreshadowing there. And... As well, there's the I meant to mention as well the mercy of letting the White Heart go, even though like yeah, Kristen wasn't going to be able to kill it anyway. Yeah, it was going to run away pretty much no matter what. And if it did come at him, I mean, he has a chance to kill it, but probably he not. might kill it, but he'll probably get killed trying. He might, you know? yeah. Like he might I think well. the heart that big, that thing was like ten feet tall. Oh yeah, probably weighed at least a thousand. I don't know if a lion could get that. Yeah, <laughs> it not. would be a close match. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, but if the point is mercy, he shows mercy. They show mercy to it, especially her. And which is also a callback to the, the mercy shown to the dire wolves. What Ned first wants to kill them, but he's talked into it by John. John being the the master of ghost, who is perhaps the best parallel here to the White Heart itself, the, the one that is almost left behind, that's Theon thinks is the runt of the litter and is most likely to die. And that makes John mad. He's like, No way, this one's mine, Greyjoy. I'm gonna take <laughs> care of it and raise him, etc. All right, real, real brief thing about hearts and stags and all this stuff outside of this scene, uh, just as a general symbol. Uh, a few people have already mentioned how it's an auspice for being a king or ruler. That's not just a Westeros thing. That's a real world thing. There's lots of myths. Celtic. It, it's uh, worth noting that the word, it's H-A-R-T. Yes, H-A-R-T. I mean, maybe in some ancient linguist reference to your heart beating in your chest. It is. But it's yeah, a, it is. Definitely. That is a reference in, uh, to uh, that is part of the origin of the word, apparently. Heart, a heart and a stag is pretty much the same thing. They're both adult male deers. A, a, the opposite of a heart, heart and gender wise is a hind. 
there's very slight difference between heart and stag. Like stag is definitely an adult. A heart is any male deer, but usually an adult. <laughs> so it's very pretty much the same thing. They aren't white because of albinism, but because of a leucism, which saps pigment in all skin types, not just melanin. And that's why they don't have red eyes, because most albinos have red eyes. The white heart was the sigil of Richard II of England. It's a crown stag. In fact, I can pull up the picture here. Like the Baratheon sigil. It's the crown stag with the crown around its neck. But instead of the golden uh, and black stag of House Baratheon, it's the white and golden stag. Many people, including Shakespeare, lay the bulk of the blame on the Wars of the Roses to uh with to richard the second and of course the wars of the roses are a huge influence on the early parts of game of thrones the starks and the lannisters representing the yorks and lancasters the white heart it, the, the picture from the wikipedia article the white heart is the fifth most popular name for pubs in england <laughs> it's uh long in been an IRL tradition in many places celtic even catholic the, the stories of saint eustace and saint hubert involve visions of Christ between stag's antlers. There's the image on screen. You can see the similarity to the Baratheon sigil because the crown's in the same spot. And in modern times, the white heart is a symbol of scouts, boy scouts, the scouting, the international boy scouts and all that. So yeah, pretty big, pretty big and pretty cool. Let's talk a little more about Alicent, builder of bridges, not just a high tower, but a strong bridge. While so many of these characters misjudge each other, using the wrong tactics to gain consensus and to, to win alliances and friends, Alicent stands out as quite skilled. It's her who convinces Viserys about the Stepstones after so many others fail. She uses the right tactic to get through to him, puts it in perspective properly, makes it not about pride, makes it about the realm rather than his personal relationship with his brother. It works. And I really notice how she speaks to him. The way she... She has a lot of different ways to approach him. It's very subtle. She calls him your grace at certain times, calls him my love at other times. And in this moment, she says, what do you think of Viserys? She actually calls him by his first name, which I think is the first time that happens. It's a really subtle clue to how, like, the different ways she knows how to, like, not manipulate him because yeah. she's not out for herself. It's it's positive manipulation, I guess. You can still call it manipulation, but it's Set not... Set the with, tone for yeah. what you're saying in a moment. And, like, sometimes it could be more or less positive or negative. I know when I was young... My sisters were mad at my parents. Instead of mommy and daddy, they became mother and father. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like when you call someone by a nickname or a nickname uh, or a nickname or a shortened version of their name, and then you but you call them by their full name. You know, it's like I'm, my name is Aziz. So I go by my actual first name is Abishai. Aziz, my middle name is like Abishai. You know, I'd be like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's what did I do? <laughs> yeah, so another thing, Rhaenyra, or another thing, Allison does. Yeah, it's revealed. I, I, well, for me, it's like I really thought about just he's the king. Yeah, I'm calling the king by his first name. You're the queen. You have that right, and she's exercising her right as queen. But she uses it sparingly, apparently. Yes, which is, yes. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, and privately. Yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah. She's she very careful to yeah. around his pride. Yeah, that's really important. She's very aware of this these undercurrents of what moves people. Not not just him though, because think how other people around would perceive it too. If she called him Viserys mm. in public, they might be like, who does she think she is? Yeah. She might lose some standing in their eyes. Yeah. People might maneuver against her or Start whatever. some gossips or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and another piece of insight is she predicted how Rainier would react to Lord Jason's offer. She, she was right. So it's like you sh he did she doesn't say you should have listened to me. But she does kind of like imply that she's like, oh, I kind of said that would happen, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, just remind him. That yeah, she just like had a... 
I was right, you a know. Take on this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should listen to me more often. And then he does. He listens to her about Damon. So it kind of does immediately happen. Uh, there's also a really interesting que- uh, scene with her and her father. She just, she has this, she's on edge around him almost every time. Every time they have a scene together, she's just reserved, holding back, it's definitely has issues with him. I mean, you can see why, <laughs> but I'm very curious how this is going to continue to play out because he keeps pushing her. He wants her to convince Al of Viserys to make Aegon heir, and he knows that it's going to take the slow, careful convincing, not the forcing. That's the other thing. Is remember how he offers to marry his daughter or her to his son or his grandson? Like, yeah, marry the 17 year old or the two year old, and. Cersei is like, what? You know, he doesn't re- he doesn't reject it on incest grounds. <laughs> he yeah, just rejects just, it on uh, age grounds. Young. But yeah. think what a win that would be for uh, for Otto. Yeah, if right. He pulled That's that just off. like yeah. everything that he wants to happen comes from that move. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I th- it works on a few levels because even if it doesn't actually like, even if he doesn't actually want Aegon and Rhaenyra to get married. It makes it so that Rhaenyra doesn't get married and have an alliance and isn't having kids. She's locked up yeah. for yep. 12 years or whatever until he's, let's say, 14. She's not having kids until then. So that gives him plenty of time to have that not actually happen. No other house becomes a rival. Uh, yeah. No other child heir is creating contention, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Our, our friend Rudy was here called it a free roll. He's like, well, he doesn't really lose much by making that request. And if, if Zaris rejects it, which he did, he can just go, okay, never mind. Back yeah. off, you know? And it's like, okay. He's like, yeah, but he's like, it would stop all the flood of marriage offers. It would at least be that. And he's like, yeah, but he's two. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, all right, never mind, never mind, never mind. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was pretty uh, pretty interesting. Now, about Allison as well, she kind of dodges the question when she's like, don't you want your son to be king? She doesn't say yes. She doesn't say, I do. She says, what mother wouldn't? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. actually me. I'm I'm mother who would Maybe. I'm not saying she's saying that either, but it's very interesting that she doesn't give him a direct answer. And she definitely disagrees with him about stealing Rainier's crown. She's like, why would I raise my son to steal his sister's crown? Which is, in canon, that, that line does come up later. For spoiler reasons, I won't say where, but a lot of you all know. I'll point it out on Saturday. So that is a, a callback to Fire and Blood as well. I think it's just another example of her thinking ahead to how things will look. Mm-hmm. When he's not, okay. right? He okay. just hadn't yeah. considered it. Maybe that piece of it isn't enough to change the decision. Mm. But he's not even thinking about that. She is, right? She's yeah. thinking, she's more forward thinking. I, I was also going to point out, if I didn't say it already, that through the episode, I feel like they made a point of showing her observing the different interactions going on. More so than anyone else. She You're seems right. to be more keen on what's happening, what people's intentions are, who's talking to each other. And there's shots Combined. of her just looking at her face and watching her like her eyes move back and forth as she's like looking yeah, at she's yeah. observing she's seen jason talk to rhaenyra you know whether she knew ahead of time she understands what's happening right now yeah. she probably has an awareness of what this whole hunt is about you know she's she seems more aware of what's happening now and of how things will play out in the long run too yeah well said well said and uh moving on okay talking about viserys coming around this is his other great moment, the the lamenting in front of the fire was really powerful, but this is one that you go, all right, because he's doing what seems to be good choices, seems to be a, a moment of good fathering. Several different aspects of it are, are high quality. He gives Rhaenyra his promise, and it's a severe promise. He swears on his dead wife's grave, her mother's grave. It's a pretty major oath to take there. She seems to be moved by that. That great moment when 
He's like, you gotta marry for advantage. You gotta marry for. He's like, she's like, you didn't marry. You would have married Lena Valerian if it was about advantage. He's like, fair point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is <laughs> true like, enough. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that is true enough. That's what he says, and it's true. And that's to his credit, you know. He's like, you're right. You know, and that takes her aback that she that he admits it. He's like, oh, she's like, oh, you actually admit that? Okay, fair enough. On the other hand, he's like, look, I didn't fully marry for love. He doesn't use the example of Duncan the Small, because Duncan the Small hasn't happened yet. That's many years later. But Duncan the Small marries an actual common-born girl and is thus completely locked out of the line of succession. He just has to abdicate his spot next in line. Whereas Viserys is more like, okay, yeah, I didn't marry the most advantageous person, but I still married a Hightower. That's still very powerful. He married in the first place. I, yeah, I, and, and he did level, marry. If he had his druthers, he wouldn't have even remarried at all. That's he true. said he didn't expect to, you know, yeah. much less to have another son coming. So, so he's not like saying he's not. He so he backs off a little bit and says, "Okay, look, I'll let you choose your own husband, but you got to be smart about it. You know, don't just marry a rando. It, 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 stop sabotaging yourself to get back at me. If you're going to be rebellious, be smart about it. Don't be petulant. Don't cut off your nose to spite your face." Use this opportunity to gain advantage, not see it as a burden. There's a lot of powerful houses out there that might support you and make your claim stronger. It's like, you got to look at it that way rather than just some thing you have to do. I feel like it wasn't even just him saying, I'll let you marry who you want. It was him saying, go ahead. And marry. Like, yeah. I'm not stopping you. You can do, like, you have to marry someone. Permission sounds you're, too, like. Yeah. yeah you're yeah, not yeah. doing what you need to do for your role. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. what he's telling her. And so if you're not going to do it, I'm going to try to find you a, a match. But yeah. you can just go find your own match. We, we don't have to have this contention between us. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. He's framing it as something she needs to do, not something that he needs her to do, which is important. Then she feels less pressured from him and more about the situation, what's best for she her. See, you, you know, with him. Yeah. What's yeah. in it for me? He's yeah. He's like yeah. trying to get her to see what's in it for her. Yeah. Cause she keeps thinking that it's all yeah. for him. She's like, Oh, you want me to like just prop your, your cord up by marrying someone of your choice and making you more powerful? And it's like, No, well, that would be good for me, but it's, it's really more about what it gets you. <laughs> and I wonder if on some level he was inspired by, uh, by a strong, what's his, the guy's name? Is it Robert Strong? Uh, or Harwin. No, sorry, Harwin. Lionel. Lionel yeah. Strong. His yeah. good, the good. Because he basically loss. said the same thing. He, he, he when he came to him with the suggestion, like, let me guess, marry your son. He's like, oh, that'd be nice, but that's not really the best thing. Here's the best thing. Yeah. And he's recognizing this guy is trying to figure out the best thing in general, not just this personal gain. And so it makes him realize, oh, that. Let me pitch it that way to Renee. Like he's learned a lot of lessons, and, and including in this scene, he's finally doing what I wanted, which is. Helping her, teaching her. You know, she, yeah. she, to learn, he needs to teach her the lesson. He's yeah. finally doing it. This is the, the best conversation they've had. By far. It's yeah. a frustrating <laughs> conversation I've had. Understandable. I don't think it's like a flaw in the writing. It's a flaw in the characters. Yes. But there's a lot of miscommunication. Yes. A lot of the conflicts and issues wouldn't be there if they really understood each other better. Mm-hmm. And and on some level, they might understand each other better if there's master whispers. You know, even someone who's <laughs> yeah. conniving could still like reveal the truth to them to get cut off you know, conflicts and... Uh, I think that um, they're missing this awareness of the need for more information or for a counselor or just to be able to communicate with each other better. Like it's especially when they have these blind spots in their stubbornness or pride or Mm -hmm. whatever else. And even if they don't see it in themselves, they've got to see it in each other. So when all of them all see it in each other, at what point do you realize we need a counselor? We need to get, you know, yeah. He's basically saying like, look, baby Aegon, I was with these supporters. Get some of your own and make some of your own. He says multiply. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, it's almost like her pride has taught her the best way to play the game of Thrones is not to play at all. 
but he's reminding her, look, you're in the game, whether you want to be or not. You may as well play it, be a player, not a piece. Mm-hmm. And the show has given us lots of chess pieces, like actual, like, you know, the piece, <laughs> the dragon and the, the squids and the Valerian sigil pieces and all that. I like the little chess pieces everywhere. <laughs> the, the Kingsguard pieces and all that. Yeah. We'll be buying, I'm sure those are all be in the stores, you know, <laughs> if they aren't already. I like that you brought up the marriage offers from, from Lionel Strong. That's the next section I hear, have here. Jason's offer. It's almost hilarious. Like, this is like the, the stereotype rich playboy type was like, my castle is the tallest. I'm so rich. I'm so great, you know, and he's like, oh, my brother's so boring, you know, he's just like, it's like, that wasn't necessary, you know, <laughs> but he's like super dripping with this like hyper masculinity and, and pride. And it really makes a poor impression, not just on her, but on Viserys. Viserys doesn't like him either. Yeah. <laughs> they both there, are- there's like a moment early on before Jason even talks to Rhaenyra where like Jason's kind of leering at Rhaenyra and Viserys like sees it and he looks like very discomforted. I think him. that's his first impression. He's like, okay, this was a, he already is thinking this is a bad idea. Yeah. And yeah, and you know, the way he reacts towards the spear, he's like, you think we lack strength? He's like yeah. picking a fight with him. Mm-hmm. He's like, what are you saying? And he's like, I'm just saying. And he missed a really line. He missed that chance for the, for the pun, didn't he? What? When he says, it's like, he's like, well, if someone offered you more dragons, you'd take it, right? He's like, do you have dragons to offer? He could have said golden dragons. Yeah, but he's, <laughs> yes, he's yes. too slow yeah. on the uptake. Not a punster, this Jason <laughs> Lannister. Yeah, he takes after, I guess, Jamie, not Tyrion. Yeah, not Tyrion. <laughs> I do want to point out, though, that it does show that Viserys isn't completely incompetent here. He, right. He was reading this situation. He's clever. It's happened a couple other times before, too. Like, he, yeah. he doesn't always make the, the best play, but he doesn't always make the worst play either he, he's not completely incompetent yeah yeah and it's, I agree. A, it's a tough balance to to have this person be an okay king you know what i mean <laughs> he's not bad but he's not great and uh, i think it's a, a a challenge for both the writers and the actor mm-hmm. to, to to walk this line well said and this is a, perhaps a familiar face if you all maybe recognize this character well both characters because the actor is Jefferson Hall this isn't a case of two twins in real life playing different characters Jefferson Hall is playing both Jason and Tyland he was also Hugh of the Vale in season one of Game of Thrones the one killed by Gregor and he was also Torsten in Vikings who had a long run as he was the last of Ragnar's companions to die the one that has his arm amputated and has an epic death that most certainly got him to Valhalla. Spoiler alert, <laughs> some of the characters of Vikings die. Yeah, yeah, one or two, one or two. He makes that claim, I can build a dragon pit. Like, whoa, like, yeah, I guess you can. You are the Lord of Casual. Like, you are ridiculously wealthy. And it's kind of interesting. Like, I wonder if he's just talking big and saying, you know, like, showcasing his wealth, pours out the wine. He's, he gets called arrogant and self-serious. And <laughs> that's a great line, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I thought he's arrogant and self-serious. Like, what does Viserys say in response to that? He I says, thought you might be able to relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> you might have been like that. He's like, yeah, he's like, yep. She's like, oh, good line. Yeah, so that's another example. Another comic relief there. <laughs> that line was very funny to me. In general, that I, that whole scene with Rhaenyra and, uh, Jason. and Jason was very funny. That was really good, yeah. You wonder if he's playing both sides a bit. He tells Viserys that she would be well compensated for her loss of station. He's like, what loss of station? Well, yeah, she's clearly the child. Your boy's son is the heir, right? You know, and she would be the lady of Cashley Rock. She's being demoted from heir to the throne to lady of Cashley Rock. Still a very high position, but, but a demotion. He's kind of implying that she's going to be no threat anymore. Even to him, he's saying that and offering the spear in support of the new son. The new boy's like, I support him. But if he's telling her, if he's serious about the dragon pit, that's kind of like saying... We could be the next House Valarian. We could have dragons too. And that isn't exactly 
not threatening the crown's power, yeah. acquiring dragons of their own. And in canon, there's multiple attempts by the Lannisters of this era to acquire dragon eggs. The, the ones who took care of Aegon and Reyna, Aegon the Uncrowned, the one killed by Maegor, he asked, after Aegon was killed, he asked Reyna, he's like, you know, one of those dragon eggs would make a great gift for my hospitality that yeah. I've kept you here all this time and, and protected you against your enemies. You know, you could just give me an egg. And she's like... It's time to go. <laughs> Maybe she should have given him the egg. <laughs> Maybe. Like, yeah, they can't tame that dragon. Like, good luck. Yeah, yeah, we're, go. yeah what are you going to do with that thing? Yeah, so anyway, and that brings us perhaps to this example. We see a our first example of a house besides the Targaryens, the dragon, the dragon sea smoke, the gloriously gray uh, dragon of House Valarian ridden by Sir Laenor. That We'll come back to that in a minute, but that is this is what you'd get if the Lannisters had dragons. Well, they, theirs maybe would be more appropriately gold or red, but they take any dragon, I'm sure. <laughs> sea Change house colors if you get a new dragon. <laughs> <laughs> a lion and a dragon. Just put some wings on the lion. <laughs> like Bittersteel Sigil is the horse with wings, breathing fire. They could have a breathe, fire-breathing lion with wings. <laughs> Chloe of uh, Girls Gone Cannon tweeted, I can't unsee it, that Sea Smoke has a soul patch. Oh my uh, God, he does. He does have a soul patch. patch. Wow. That's what I see for sure. Well. <laughs> sea Smoke... Might look the most like the first show's dragons. Yeah, I would agree. Of the ones we've seen so far. Yeah, there's more we haven't seen yet. But yeah. 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 Uh, so a little more about Lionel, that advice you brought him up. He he seems to be a legitimately good counselor. His advice seems honest, correct, unencumbered by ambition. He's like, no, I wasn't talking about my son. That would be great. But no, I think the, the best thing for the realm would be to marry this rider of sea smoke, who he doesn't mention sea smoke, but we find that out. This Sir Lanor, who also shows a lot of competence in the, in the meeting and all that. I mean, what Lionel does there doesn't seem self-serving. Yeah, maybe it is, but I, it doesn't he, come I, off that way. He, I, I think he realizes that he is undermining Otto by yes. doing this sort of thing. That's a good point. By saying, hey, he counseled you poorly. To do this, yeah. your hand is what led you to, to, to this situation. I told you the correct thing to do, and again, I'm going to tell you the correct thing to do, not the thing that best serves me. Even though, really, it will ultimately serve him to give yeah. him good advice. Yeah, that's true. It brings he him more into not, his confidence and all he, that. He might not be doing it for that reason, but it does end up happening. It has right? that result. Uh, yeah, good point. And and also, I want to point out that maybe he is giving him the quote unquote best advice from some sort of like big picture political legacy standpoint but he still wanted the 40 something year old man to marry a 12 year old girl he still <laughs> is not exactly giving the best advice yeah. right like he could have advised the the Rhaenyra marry uh that could have been his first suggestion right Lainor is that the right name Lainor yeah Lainor yeah. Yeah. yeah so that would have been more of a compromise of yeah. like the the best political play but the more appropriate age marriage or whatever you know so he, another one last character, we mentioned Laris the Clubfoot, and small spoiler, this character is going to be a little more important, so keep an eye on him. He sits at the women's table and, and listens to them gossiping. He's uh, One thing we'll say about him, he's, he's observing. He's a listener, and uh, that's going to be important later. And there he is, standing there with his cane and his gloves. And uh, I yeah. wonder if he has some Tyrion parallel. He's got to make up for this disability uh, by being smart or clever or whatever You might whatever be on the right here. track there, Sean. <laughs> I, also, wasn't there a, a Tyrell that had some sort of like a leg? Willis Tyrell, the heir, the actual heir, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. That was the one they were going to try to marry Sansa I don't to. know as much about that character. I don't, he hasn't been th on There screen. wasn't as much to that character, but... Yeah. Uh, 
you know, I love that Laris is sitting at the women's court, the little women's table there, and like, and, and that he plays it off, you know, like so that they don't think much of him sitting yeah. there. Oh, I just need to sit down because of my foot. But he's really, like, I'm, he's, I'm not meant for hunting. Yeah. Yeah, but really, he's like, oh, I'm gonna get all the tea. All yeah. The gossip. <laughs> <laughs> all the tea and cakes as he eats them, takes a bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. He was just kind of playing it off like I need a place to sit, but yeah, he's like listening and like yeah, because he knows like what the women are gossiping about is important. Like, it tells you a lot. It can tell you, like, it can reflect on what their husbands are thinking or what their individual court think and, yeah, what public opinion is. And this Even and the yeah. same information that other people might have through a different lens is valuable, right? Yes. A different perspective on right. some opinion of it or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's also what they're willing to say in public matters versus yeah. maybe what yeah. he thinks they're actually thinking. It's like, where, how far are they willing to go? What, what are they, you know, what, what, where is their limit, right? What, what, what is taboo and what isn't? So let's talk about the the battle. It's this. Did we? Did I just miss when you brought up Harwin there? We talked about him already. Oh, just there. Oh, okay. I, I really yeah, we talked we talked about him off and on throughout the whole episode. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to shout. You had something else to say about him? Yeah, I just really wanted to shout out Harwin Strong for just like with literally one look capturing the hearts of, and of of like a huge audience. Like, I mean, literally, he just gives her one grin and like a theater of people is like oh we're swooning for you they all a lot of people making dario comparisons yeah, there. dario and torment <laughs> comparison torment yes yeah. right on um, but yeah anyways i just really I, I i'm really excited to see more of that actor because personally i was disappointed in his casting originally because it's harwin breakbone strong he's supposed to be the strongest knight and you look at him here and he's like he's pretty average looking like he doesn't look like he's the strongest knight in the realm but He's no Gregor, yeah. I can see why they cast him if he has such charisma and just, like, one look. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, that was was a a look. It really was, yeah. There's more than one way to be strong, right? Especially in that family. Yeah, he could have strength of character, and he could also have a, uh, like... There it uh, is. There's the look. (laughs) Also, sometimes it can be deceiving how much muscle is underneath clothes. You know, I have, like, three or four people wearing leather garments. They could have a lot of different strength underneath that. You want to seem shirtless, huh? Yes, yes. Then you'll you'll render Uh, your final decision. And also, there's even different types of strength, too. Like, someone who might be able to, I don't know, bench press 400 pounds, but they might barely be able to do one pull-up. Where Mm. another guy can only bench press 100 pounds, but might do 20 pull-ups. And so, it's like a a relative strength versus personal fitness kind of thing. He can do a, a... personal he can do 20 stag holds <laughs> yeah something so yeah let's talk about the battle the crab hunt we'll call it the burning seahorse flag is kind of how it gets lit in during the intro it's not quite ice and fire but the idea of an under deep sea creature on fire is kind of an interesting uh opposition of symbols there we have Caraxes unleashed. The nickname Longboy is is probably going to stick. I really do like that nickname. The poor stomped on guy that we talked about at the beginning is sort of like the narrator in this in that intro scene. He's like the, he's yeah. the only one talking. He's yelling even like throughout Damon's stuff. And yeah, uh, he he tells the crab feeder that he's going to get fed to his own crabs, which pretty much happens. It's Vaymond, brother to Corlys. Who reaches a breaking point first, perhaps the one uh, man not overwhelmed by pride who actually asks for help, but he, of course, also goes too far with this. He's on the verge of mutiny. Corley shuts him down when he tries to say, we well, shouldn't be following Damon. 
And Eleanor calls him the master of complaints, which <laughs> that's a line that will live forever. <laughs> People are already appointing master of complaints to their virtual small councils. Yeah, I've seen some display names that they're now master of complaints. And yeah, I really I gave Lenor some nice personality there because that really is something we didn't we didn't know a lot about him as a character. I mean, that's been true for most of these characters. Really. Yeah. Um, so I've been really enjoying seeing what direction they go with. And. Lenor was competent and had a, a a certain wit to him. He, yeah. he was quick on his feet. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he, he was a little I, more I, Jamie like. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, Jamie might be a good comparison. A good comparison. And he also seemed to like genuinely like really enjoy riding his dragon. There's yeah. that part when he's like riding the dragon. He goes woo. When he threw the mat, when the thing yeah. I called out, he goes woo. And he did that. Yeah, and he, he was and he was yelling Drakkar's. He's not yeah. like like intense about it. He's like yeah, it's like pleasant. He's like yeah. happy. He's like yeah. Which actually, <laughs> we think back, think back to in the first episode, the tourney scene when young Lane were there, how excited he was by the he tourney. Was. He was like, Lena was like, whoa. Yeah, so like, and he was you like, see the difference between them. Which <laughs> yeah. all this makes me think about Sandor saying, like, knights are killers. Like, yes. I don't know how good it is to be happy about riding your dragon and killing people. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, just, I don't know. I, I yeah, like a bit of a thrill seeker, maybe yeah. a little adrenaline junkie or something like that, maybe is what they're telling us. I don't know. But I'll yeah. volunteer to be master complaints about this whole battle section, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's important for the idea that he could marry Rhaenyra. That's obviously being floated. Whether or not it happens, we'll see. But showing this is something that she expressed before. She wants someone with experience someone with, and needs someone with prestige. Well, he's got that. She also wants someone she loves. That remains to be seen. So we'll see. We have no idea. You know, that, At this point, it would be premature to say how they would get along. Yeah, see, smoke uh, was way, awesome. I don't even know right now if that is a priority to her. Cause she Maybe not, yeah. Because she doesn't seem particularly interested in boys, even before all this. She mm-hmm. wants to ride her dragon. She wants yeah. to do her own thing, you know? So <laughs> Maybe that's something you can bond over. Or yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Sea Smoke was amazing. Uh, a bit sneakier, maybe giving their color. Like, hides. He can get hide of the mist a bit. Like, mm-hmm. makes the surprise a little more believable. If, if, if Crab Feeder's looking for Caraxes and is like, oh, crap, the, the, the darker one. So, yeah. Uh, Crabfeeder never did speak. We we kind of figured maybe he would eventually. He never did. I thought it was kind of neat how he just he's just directing people with nods of his head. It gives him a little more uh, villainous nature, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of his, and it makes sense because Grayscale maybe it made him mute. Maybe his tongue had he'd lost it. Like that would probably happen. That's a theory in a Song of Ice and Fire. Not a, not a popular theory, but the Tyrion's tongue will would become Grayscale because he uh, fell in the water and he would lose the thing that defines like him. lost his hand, yeah. Yeah, so that, that, that's the theory no one wants, but it could happen. <laughs> he also has a little bit of John Connington vibe here, a person who knows they're dying, a person who's like 100% sure they're dying, they have a limited amount of time to accomplish their goals. Their goals are very brutal, and they're not, that gives them very little sensitivity to other people. They're like, I don't, you know, there's no sympathy. It's like, well, I'm dying and I'm in pain all the time. It's hard to find empathy or sympathy for other people. Not that it justifies it, of course, but it kind of, Adds to his villainousness. But interestingly, Damon never speaks either. Except for in the intro when he's calling for Drehar to come out and fight him, which he's obviously not because he's on a dragon. Like, I'm not coming out to fight you one-on-one. <laughs> come on, are you kidding me, man? <laughs> really interesting moment when Caraxes screams in pain when Damon's hit by an arrow, which another bit of the connection between Ryder and Dragon. They're yeah. drawing more connections there. He takes that message says nothing, just beats the messenger up. Talk about kill the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. That's Joffrey Lonmouth who pulls the messenger away from Damon or pulls Damon off the messenger. I want that to come back and haunt him. I want there to be a repercussion for attacking mm. a messenger like maybe, that. Maybe there will be. It's funny that the messenger is is so oblivious. He's marching up to this camp that's 
Like they're decrepit, they're beaten down, and he's like, I have to say the full title. <laughs> a message from King Viserys, Lord of the Andals, and no, the no, first no, no, man, no. King of the Roinar. And Damon it's... is like, shut up with that damn title. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's so he proud would have been already. So much better off saying, <laughs> not even just saying the king, but saying your brother. Yes. That's what he should have said. That's what yeah. he should have, yes. Your brother the king. Like, still give him his, his proper style, yeah. but you know. So yeah, real don't kill the messenger moment. This somewhat backs Vaiman's claim that Damon is a bad leader, but that isn't necessarily a reason to mutiny, but it does kind of emphasize what he's saying there. And Tylan, remember Tylan reports that, that Damon is pushing them too hard. His men, his pushing his mm-hmm. men too hard. That's said yeah. at the beginning. And that's, well, nothing like beating your own man to <laughs> show that you're going too far. So he won't accept help victory on his terms or death. Now, the actual action of the hand-to-hand combat I didn't love. I didn't hate it either. I mean, it's the same kind of standard complaints we often make with battle. I don't think we need to rehash that. It's like some of it isn't believable. Some of it is like the planning doesn't necessarily make sense. Some of this layout, you know, it's like, ah, yeah, go ahead, master of complaints. Anything you want yeah. to add to that? Yeah, yeah. Well, first, before Sean <laughs> does his master of complaints, I'll give my one. Like, Damon wasn't even, wasn't even dodging the arrows he was not doing he was outrunning he was them. not yeah. zigzag he was rick rick oning it <laughs> rick oning it but he didn't get shot so that that was the one thing in the battle that i'm like yeah i know that's normal but it was just a little too many arrows just, yeah. just a little bit yeah. he did get shot what three times plus the one time at the beginning but yeah still shot. there was like a thousand like, arrows yeah. yeah i would have preferred if it was like half that number of arrows and he got shot once at the beginning and then like another at the end you know like, yeah yeah i feel like they could have executed it a little bit better to where he still avoided a lot of arrows yeah there's a few tweaks they could have done to to make me believe it more if you will and and even beyond the details of the battle which you know like just a few less archers firing at him or something like that uh, i the the segment in general seemed i, I don't necessarily mean too negative because i think overall they conveyed what they needed to convey yeah they didn't this. spend a ton of time and on it, yeah. you know it is part of the show to have some cool action and want yeah. to see dragons in action but, yeah, the dragon parts were great yeah, but i, I, I imagine <laughs> in 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 the writing process somewhere between the screenplay and the editing there were probably multiple different scenes of that that battle meeting mm. and in the messenger coming, it seemed a little odd to have all that. They're, they're having a meeting outdoors with all the men standing around about strategy. Yeah. And then Damon shows up and the messenger shows up. And then there was not even a scout that told them the messengers were coming. Like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. all a little too staged. They're, they're skipping over a few things. Yeah. Right. Like some and of those could steps, have been yeah. like different scenes split up, but they, they, I, yeah, the episode is already 62 minutes long and better yeah. to cut that out than cut out some of the hunt stuff, which was yes, so good. Hunt, we would right. not want to exactly. lose any of that. <laughs> exactly. That was a pleasant surprise. I really thought this episode was going to be like half. I did too. I, I yeah. was expecting I did too. That. But I it was only like was, 10 minutes or something. Yeah. Maybe it was 15. Really, yeah. I looked, it was about like 10, 12 minutes. Yeah. So it was a very short part of it. Yeah. So I, I, I'm okay with the sort of consolidating and semi contrived nature, but they, they did convey a lot in the end. Like it's just important to see that, Damon is um, willing to sacrifice himself. He's coming out of this a clear hero. He's not accepting his brother's help. But, you know, he's, the, those he's are the, dishonorable the, the, too. He's what dishonorable. Yeah, you, you, you attacking under the white flag. Yeah. I wanted to be face repercussions for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's so, so you know, I, I'm I can get over too many arrows being shot or he like yeah we've seen a, that before. Another yeah. thing I guess <laughs> that bothers me about it a little bit is that it makes uh, it makes the 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 crab feeder a little less formidable of opponent when he, he could just like run through and kill 80 guys all by himself. <laughs> and then like the crab feeder seems to be making a bad tactical decision too. Like it seems like he's anticipating dragons, but he keeps like, all right, more men, more men, more men. And it's not working. And he keeps doing it anyway. 
And then he finally runs away and on his own home turf, Damon is think able to the, beat him. After I think the implication, arrows, well, I think like, the implication yeah. is that there's no one else in the caves. Like all his men yeah. are dead at that but, point. And himself, he's clearly not a fighter himself. He's covered yeah, in grayscale. Yeah, he's a leader, but he wasn't leading very well. Yeah. Uh, I, I think but, he was leading well to that point. Maybe. They were winning yeah. against yeah. dragons and all that. So, But uh, I still but, yeah. feel like all that's kind of nitpicking that yeah. the, the, the yeah. gist of the you know the the plot points need to be hit the development of the characters that need to happen all happen here and there's lots of people who aren't thinking about the details of battle tactics yeah just, just, freaking it's just a great it's ride cool. yeah, okay, just, yeah enjoy cool. the yeah, ride yeah, yeah exactly yeah so yeah uh, for regarding uh crap feeder looking up at the sky for dragons like i kind of at the point that you see a dragon it's probably too late to evacuate your men <laughs> from the dragon if they've committed like. too like, far like, yeah if you, if you can see the dragon it's too close it's like one of those kind of things <laughs> yeah but I, I feel that he was looking up thinking he would see Caraxes further because Caraxes is bright red. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. blends in, blends with, in the, yeah. with the clouds and all that. And so. And it, since I it even, was Damon's dragon, or Damon there, you might be expecting Damon's yeah, dragon. Yeah, so you yeah. expect Damon's dragon to come out. And so he was able to get a little bit more, like, snuck up on. But I still feel like even if he it had been Caraxes that showed up, he couldn't have possibly evacuated his men in yeah, time. I, I came up with some other. I don't know, justifications, if you will, that, like, Damon might not have just randomly showed up. He might have scouted at this spot, knew the route he was going to run, knew where the archers mm. might be positioned and what angle he needed to be to avoid the area. Yeah, you know? they, 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 they're and, familiar with that position. And yeah. this might not have been their home base. Like, the, mm. the, the crab feeder might have been chased to this island and they just ran in these caves and no they they, they made it clear that was their their dug in spot. that was their home base mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that was their dug in spot but anyway one way or the other let's move on so uh the other thing i want to draw attention to is i think they were maybe if it wasn't on purpose it was a lot of coincidence because this moment really shows damon channeling achilles look at a, a general a standard of drawing of achilles he's got the horsehair helmet very much like damon black armor Arrogant, unstoppable, except by arrows. That's the one thing that stops <laughs> Achilles. Ultra proud, prone to sulking to the point of ridiculousness. Achilles refuses to fight in the war anymore because he didn't, you know, because the king took his his woman away. He's forged in flame. That's where his immunity comes from. And the Targaryens are all kind of forged in flame, you know, with their immunity. He's long haired, extremely fast. That's something that, like the Achilles parallel allows me to accept the arrow thing more because he's Achilles is so fast. He's like, well, yeah. he's just outrunning the arrows. It's said that Achilles has wings on his feet. Which his dragon has. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah. The Trojan War took a really long time, like 10 years of siege. This has been a three-year siege, so it's, you know, it's not quite as long, but it's still very long. Yeah, look at that. You can see that could be a scene from Troy. <laughs> Achilles has long hair, just like that. Brad, I gave Brad Pitt that long hair and all that. Yeah. So, Crab Feeder is no Hector, but we also have that beginning scene where he's yelling for him to come out and face him, which Achilles does yes, to Hector yes. <laughs> from inside the walls of Troy. And then when he does kill Hector, he drags his body around, which mm-hmm. also Achilles does. So yeah. just like tons of Achilles vibes here. It's too much to be a coincidence. They yeah. were clearly doing, <laughs> drawing I, a parallel on purpose. I think quite possibly, yeah. There's a chance they weren't. Ever since George said he doesn't do a lot of these parallels on purpose, I'm like backing off on my certainty on some yeah. of these. But anyway, it works really well, intentional or not, and it's very cool. I like that. That, really, that also helped me enjoy the battle more when I caught that. As with each additional parallel I discovered, I liked it even more. <laughs> so, yeah, all right. Well, any uh, we have some final questions to talk about and a couple of callbacks, references, and small mentions that may start a, a small discussion here, but we're winding our way down here. Laura Brandos, one of our lovely f- mods in our Facebook group and friend of ours, all three of ours, sends a super chat. No question, but thank you, Laura. Much appreciated. 
Sandy Hartcorn also sends a super chat. Also, no question. Thank you, Sandy. Christina Cadill. Kaido. I'm sorry. I don't know how to say your name, Christina. Christina K. <laughs> she says, you know, I named her to protect the realm from Damon. She was my only child. The realm's delight. I named her out of love because I no longer believed. That is a really good line. I guess, yeah. So we, we get the reference to the realm's delight, which is in the books. And in this in this canon, it's... As you remember, last on, on our Saturday episode, we speculated that we might get the referral of Rainier as the as the realm's delight in this episode we thought maybe a suitor or something might but here we see that Viserys is referring to the fact that Rainier was called the realm's delight since she was a baby mm, nice yes indeed so that yeah that is a really great line another powerful moment from one of many Viserys's great uh well great moments during of acting and, and characterization this episode Christine, if you had any other thoughts on that quote that you wanted us to get to, let us oh, know. Well, I, I, to be clear, Christ, I, Christina said they used the realm's delight, and then I grabbed the quote. Oh, I see. There. Okay, so I got gotcha. you. She, she did not grab the quote. I, I wanted us to have the full quote. Cool. Well done. Dean Brown says, do you also think Viserys saw himself in the captured stag? That's what I was getting from his emotion. That's what I got. Maybe a little bit. That is what I got from it. Personally. He saw himself as trapped and held by his his own yeah, like his own or, people holding or, him in place and, him and they're yeah. just waiting to wait, just getting everything they can out of him, waiting him until they don't, until they don't need him anymore. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, that's powerful. I didn't think of that. That's good. That's good. You know, another thought on that. By the way, the way he when he first stabbed the stag. He, didn't quite get it. He had to do it a second time. Yeah. That's like the first airy name, and now he might have Ooh. to name a second one. Like it didn't, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Rhaenyra killed her boar. Just stab, stab, got it right yeah. away. Mm-hmm. She did Although have she help. Had Chris Coles. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, helped. He, he got it down, but I mean, Viserys had help, too, holding yeah. it down. Yeah. Viserys had a lot yeah. more help. You're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a better shot and a better weapon for the, for the task, too. Yeah. <laughs> And the difference also being there's a dichotomy there is Viserys is, is hunting a defenseless animal, kills it with all this pomp and circumstance, whereas Rhaenyra is is, is killing out of self-defense. It shows mercy to the White Heart when it does come around. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I wonder so much, like, if Rhaenyra had killed the White Heart, what that would have meant or, or signified to Viserys or anyone else, mm. What the, how that would have come across. Would it have further confirmed his prophecy would it have shown her to be the true heir like how would they have interpreted that i think that's self-destructive if you destroy the symbol that indicates you are the king or the queen that you are the chosen one you have destroyed the thing that she yeah she makes you that yeah i think it's a it's a it's a stab at the thing that's elevating you it at least could be interpreted that way and one who didn't want her to be the lord of the land would interpret it that way yeah see yeah whereas yes whereas if someone was trying to play up Rainier. There's a number yeah, like, of angles She that was could. the white stag. Yeah, it went to her, not yeah, went to her. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The, the so blood of the like, stag is on her now. Yeah, I feel like they could spin mm. it a number of ways. Yeah. Or they could say, no, she proves she's unworthy that she, you know, refuses the, the, yeah. the crown in this sense. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there are there would have been a lot of ways to interpret it. Andrew Gilbert says, "But the king was hunting it." And I say, "Yes, but I, the king was hunting it." So I think the the king was meant to kill it, mm. not some Rhaenyra or some other random person. Like it might have been an offense if anyone else but Viserys had killed this this heart. That's true. Yeah, they would have said, "Yeah, that's that's his, not yours." Or yeah, it, it, which shows you how the interpretation is left up to what people want. Like that's a yeah. big part of it is how they want to interpret it, not how he they... was hunting for the symbol. So it's okay for him to kill it, but it's a symbol of his son or his heir or whatever yeah. but yeah. again it's still like the power of prophecy is uh, not the I don't think that's the real power that you want <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's too tricky 
So there's a funny moment in the when they're having their battle plan and they're talking about the, how bad things are in the Stepstones. When they're like, we have 16 to 18 ships. And in that moment, those fire trebuchets are going off and one of the ships gets hit. And they could have said, okay, 15 to 17 yeah. ships. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost another one. Uh, one of the Stepstones islands is named Dwarfstone, which is not in canon, but we do know that some of the Stepstones aren't given names in canon. So for now, that'll we'll just assume this is a workable it's name. It's a good name for one of the Stepstones. Yeah, it's, it's a small a, one. Yeah, would be why it's not yeah. as prominent and given a name before. Yeah, we there's a mention of the Golden Gallery, which is a famous location inside Casterly Rock. You can check out our Casterly Rock episode for more info on that, but it's a f- very fancy spot where there's just like thousands of years of Lannister ar- sets of armor and weapons from all these famous Lannisters over the, over the eons, and the amount of wealth just in that one room is probably absurd, and that's where he had the spear forged. It's apparently. almost like a museum that mm-hmm. visitors to Castle Rock or come through as they enter. Yeah, yeah good point. Yeah, Show off their prestige and wealth and everything johanna swan is mentioned as one of the captives taken by the the excursions on the stepstones it's implied not directly that it's crab feeder himself or his men that do it in canon it's pretty much outright stated that's what happens because the crab feeder and his men are start they start charging tolls for because we cleaned up the pirates we cleaned up the pirates so we deserve a toll for that and then they start charging more and more and more and eventually the lyseni start taking boys and girls as part of their taxes and they turned them into basically what Mazaria's life was taken and turned into a sex slave so that's what happened to Joanna Swan here she's captured uh, she's a, of a famous marcher lord house but her uncle refuses to pay the ransom he's cheap and she ends up becoming the black swan she rises to become queen of all in all but name because she's such a badass and rises through the ranks so that's cool queen of what uh, queen in all but name of uh, Volantis. Okay. It's either okay. Volantis or Lice. I forget. One of the two. And there's also Kira Lannister and Lady Redwine, who we mentioned earlier. The line is, uh, how have you served the realm, Lady Redwine, by eating cake? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that that's a great catch here. Uh, Rhaenyra just said she wished she could fly away and eat only cake. So, hey, she likes cake, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah, it shows that she is weighted by responsibility where she didn't want to be in this position really but she is and she it's 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 been years since she's been able to just think about eating cake mm-hmm. uh otto has that great line that you mentioned sean he says i'm not one for signs and portents but which <laughs> signs and portents is the famous targaryen book that Aegon the conqueror's great 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 grandmother danis the dreamer that's her book signs and portents uh, by the way Johannes Swan, Lise, Lise. It is Lise? Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was Lise or Volantis. Cool. Lise it is. There's also a mention by Lionel Strong, I believe, of how difficult Jaehaerys and Alysanne had it with their daughters. He kind of makes light of it. He's like, yeah, it's a family tradition for Targaryens to have trouble with their daughters. So he's kind of he's like, look, you're not the first to have this problem. He's kind of, he's joking, but he's like, look, you're not alone in this. It's not like you have this unusual problem. It's like you screwed up yeah. uniquely and all your other, all your other ancestors did this perfectly. So he's trying to like, it's another example of, of Lionel giving good counsel, not just good advice, but helping the king feel better, which helps him be a better king as well. It takes away a little of his, his uh, difficulty there. So, as you mentioned earlier as well, uh, Viserys just, despite, uh, he just picks the poo up mm-hmm. without his glove, even though he wears <laughs> gloves almost the entire episode. 
And I think it was Eliana, maybe Eliana of Girls Gone Canon, who made this joke on Twitter. Apologize if I'm misassigning the credit for this joke, but she said, "No wonder he keeps getting infections. This guy just, <laughs> just is not cautious with his <laughs> just picking up stuff." But it's not as bad as Damon. Just you need to wear gloves too, Damon, if you're going to be holding on to a dude with grayscale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I assume that that's not going to become a plot point. I feel like he yeah, no, know better I, I doubt than it. That, yeah, they're but... just yeah. They should have given him a glove probably. Yeah. That would have covered it. But whatever. Very tiny complaint. So Shay has on screen here some other Lannisters and High Towers. We got we got Jason there and Tylen next to him. But we nice. can also see that Kira Lannister who mm. is likely as married in from another house. I um, believe that's probably their mother and there yeah. cuz Jason's father probably died so that would have been her husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. And then there's a man next to them, a guard of some sort. But yeah, he, mm. he looks very Lannister. Like he does he look be fancy. A, a, a cousin. He got like the beard. Mm. He has like a kind of a Tywin, a book Tywin. He does. Look you're right. He does have a book Tywin look. He, maybe he's like, yeah, it could be a cousin but or a brother, it, uncle, I, I, or yeah, not could, not brother, but uncle. But yeah. yeah, an uncle I could see, and then maybe Brett Lannister, the younger boy standing next to with the curls. Mm-hmm. That um, oh, that's we, his name, Brett. We knew he was cast um, oh, ahead I of time, and I okay. recognized him. Um, yeah, the Jock Lannisters, as nobody suspects the Butterfly, likes to refer to them. Cause, you know, you got your Jasons and your Jamies and your Bretts and your Kevins. And, you know, They're that. the most normal names, yeah. the most recognizable Earth uh, names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that's the Lannisters for you. And we also get a good shot at, um, at where is it here? Um, Hobart and his wife. Oh, what's her name? Do we know? We don't know her name, but okay. I just I just wanted to highlight that we do get a little yeah, look at right another on. high tower. Cool. Basically. So yeah, two of the richest families at this point. The House Valarian is the richest family, and it's unclear whether Lannister or High Tower or have they're next. <laughs> you know, these things go up and down. You know how it is with billionaires and trillionaires. Mm-hmm. Their their fortunes move up and down based on other things. <laughs> All right. We mentioned a few of our other episodes. Our Blackfire series is pretty relevant for a lot of things. Shout out to our friend Christina Triptolon, who came up with some excellent Blackfire uh, Club shirts, like the Hellfire Club. And shout out to our friend Al Vallejos, who designed the uh, logo for the shirts. Christina donated the logo to us, so we might be able to make it available for sale. We'll have to to look into that. She gave it to us. Oh, I didn't know that. Last we, night. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Well, well, we'll talk about that more. That's awesome. It's an awesome yeah. design. It was really fun. Like they, There was a big group of all of us, uh, a bunch of people walking around with Black Fire Club shirts. And we were like, oh, Hellfire. We're like, no, no, no. Black, Black Fire. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> See the B, the L, and the Y? It's the Hellfire Fire. Club is from Stranger Things, uh, yeah. the most recent <laughs> season. Right on. And Summer Hall episodes, as well, we mentioned, as well as our Casterly Rock episode, referring to the Golden Gallery and, and some of... Ty Lens or Jason's claims about how great Castle Rock is. We do get into that quite thoroughly, as well as our. This will be a final call for the Stepstones episode for now. We'll recommend that a few times, but since we're for now moving away from the Stepstones, this would be a good time. But the Triarchy is not defeated. Craghar, Cragas Drehar was defeated, but the Triarchy has not been. So they may come back into the story. We'll see about that. Keep that in mind. Thanks, everyone, for attending today. We really appreciate your attendance live. If you can't make it live, you can catch the replay on YouTube or on Spotify. We we do have videos on Spotify these days. Or you can catch the podcast replay on Spotify or iTunes or Apple or Amazon Music. Anywhere you get podcasts, you can check us out there. Thanks for the support in that regard. You can also, of course, support us on Patreon or as a Spotify subscriber. 
And did you have any last thoughts, either yeah, of y'all? I had a last thought. I realized we didn't address um, something that's been a big question um, from people I've seen on Twitter, okay. I've seen in our, in our YouTube comments. People keep wanting to ask, are Targaryens immune to grayscale? Could Damon get grayscale from that? And a couple of thoughts there. One, mostly I th- it seems like they are more immune than the average person, yes. But two, I don't think it's like an active infection that's spreading and he's dead and all that. I don't. I just don't think that that's going to be relevant. Let's remember that Grayscale was apparently created by Garen the Great, who created it specifically to target Valyrian dragonlords that had overrun the Rhoynar. So if it doesn't affect Valyrians, then it was a huge it, fail. Yeah, yeah. So it must <laughs> but affect it's, them. I think the, the dichotomy here is the Targaryens have a heightened immunity to disease, but I think that's more towards... Natural diseases. I think magical diseases mm-hmm. like grayscale and maybe the shivers, which mm-hmm. maybe isn't magical, but maybe is because it is killed it, baby Daenerys. For is example, an example, there's a, a, a there's theories about Sarah, Illyrio's Sarah, in the main series being having Targaryen Valyrian blood, right? Um, particularly Blackfire, yeah. Particularly mm-hmm. Blackfire, to be clear, yeah. yes. But she died of grayscale. She did. So that yeah. is someone who could have Valyrian or Blackfire or whatever blood. Who died of grayscale for sure? And Illyrio kept but her I hands, think, her hands of stone. So that's. <laughs> but yeah, I think the greater thing is that I don't think Kragas had an active, like, like you know, like how if you have an infection, it could be like weeping or exposed. You know. Yeah, like, it was I, up on his upper body. Yeah, yeah, you know, but I and I and I think that maybe also just being dead is enough to not transfer it at that maybe. point. I'm not. Yeah, sure. Who knows? Either way, yeah, we'll we'll see if it becomes a thing. But also, how do you define disease or sickness or like Danny is has diarrhea? Right. From yeah. Eating yeah. Poorly, I guess, or bad water or something. I don't know exactly, but uh, yeah, that's not a disease. More of a, just a infection, yeah. bacteria. A, I don't know. Reaction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, We're not doctors. Pulled pork sandwich also brings up Majel Targaryen. Yeah, she died of grayscale so, too. So she worked with. Right there. She was a like a septa type who worked with the sick and it worked with people at grayscale and then died of it. So yeah, that that and she is. Full Targaryen. There's yeah. no like Sarah. Maybe had a different yeah. parent. Who knows? But yeah, Majel yeah. was the daughter of Viserys. Or sorry, of Jaehaerys and Alysanne. Yeah. So yeah, right there. So that anyway. So yes, Damon could get could have gotten grayscale, but I don't think. He Despite will. those potentials, I just don't feel like it's what they're doing. Yeah, I don't feel like it's the direction. It would be neat for him to lose two fingers like his brother. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because I don't even think they've said the word grayscale. In, no, they never, no, they never did. Yeah. We just so, know, yeah. And on some level, they've got to make this show for people who didn't see and read everything else. So That's true. the fact they haven't even said it out loud, like, I guess. Yeah, my question about about Crab Feeder also is, I, I it's not clear to me whether the grayscale that he has is actively spreading or whether oh, it's been stopped. Yeah, maybe he just like like Shireen. It was, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe he had been infected. Maybe it drove him insane or he's in pain, but maybe he isn't dying next week from it. Maybe, Mm. yeah. Yeah, that was my impression was that, yeah, he wasn't actively dying from it like John Connington. It had been stopped like Shireen. Maybe. That's that's possible. It had ransacked. It had ravaged his body. Okay. Yeah. That might make more sense, actually, than some ways. Yeah, that that, that could fit. I could see that. I could see that. But on that topic of them not pointing things out like that and just expecting us to understand, there's a good bit of that. A lot of these characters that have been introduced, like small mentions here and there, it's very subtle. They're not holding our hands. They're expecting us to pick up on things. They are looking at their audience as if we're high intelligence, and, and hopefully we are. <laughs> and also, like I, I appreciate a show that assumes I'm going to watch it twice and talk to my friends about it. Like I, I, I appreciate that there is enough. It's dense enough with 
information, clues, metaphor, on and on and on, that it makes it more worth rewatching mm-hmm. and listening yeah. to a podcast about and talking to your friends about it. It creates a community. It it it, it has uh, extra layers of depth and, and value to it with all that. So. Right on. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of other podcasts, yeah, check out ones. I will be doing that. I'll be checking out some of our friends' podcasts and hearing their takes. You can join us. Uh, on Saturday for someone to uh, to promote coming up right after us too. Oh yeah, check out our friends Direwolf City. They are going on live every Monday right after us around eight thirty. Mm-hmm. So you can just switch right on over to them and get their takes instead. Alicia had a great take about uh, Damon's uh, immunity to arrows that reflects one of his ancestors. You want to check that out and and, and hear her on that. <laughs> it's a good one. But until next time, remember, Saturday at 3 is next time for our preview episode of Episode 4, which will be featured with Radio Westeros as our guests. Our good friends coming back after many years covering uh, this stuff together. They're doing it on their own, so check them out in advance of that as well while you're at it, in addition to their other great content that's not House of the Dragon. But with that, we say goodbye. Valar Reedus and Ashan just mentioned... Valar rewatches as well.